to this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. On this episode of the show, I'll be bringing you a recent discussion that I had with Eric Hernandez and Andrew Rappaport on Molinism for Andrew's show, Striving for Eternity. Now, for those of you who listen to this show pretty regularly, you'll know that I'm really not a fan of Molinism. And so I will obviously be taking the negative position during this dialogue as Eric takes the affirmative. Now, I do have a lot of irons in the fire, and I'm sure those keeping track know that we're in the middle of about a half dozen series or or so. Uh, I'm working on the next episode for the supposed misogyny in the Bible, as well as recording an audio version of the paper that I wrote on my understanding of Genesis 1. I'm also planning on having some folks on to have some recap discussions concerning that paper uh, and some of the responses that it's garnered, as well as some post-debate reactions to this episode on Molinism after it comes out. So they are coming, but as some of you know, <laughs> my wife and I just had our second son at the very end of this last November. So uh, having a newborn and a toddler around the house not only limits the amount of free time that I have, but also makes me extremely tired during what little free time I do have. Uh, and, and with my migraines and some of the medical conditions that some of you know, uh, it just compounds. So uh, this is an unusually busy time as well for me, a uh, very stressful time for me at work, um, which is not typical. My job normally isn't that stressful, but uh, the past few weeks it has been very stressful. Uh, so please uh, keep me in your prayers. Um, also, if you'd like to find more content like mine, why not head on over to the Christus Victor Network where you can find Memento Mori, Ask a Millennial Christian, and and the Theosophy Pod. There are some really great shows with some amazing content that I highly recommend for all of you. And if you have a podcast and you'd like to be considered for inclusion on the Christus Victor Network, contact myself or Owen Pond and we can start that conversation. In addition, if you enjoy this content, please go to wherever it is that you download it, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, uh, and give us uh, a rating. If you enjoy it, five stars, please. That really helps uh, this show show up on the search results results. So with that, let's dive into the discussion that I had with Eric Hernandez on the issue of Molinism. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another of the Striving for Eternity Theological Discussions. Tonight's topic in our theological discussion will be the topic of Molinism. Maybe that's a new topic for some of you. Others it may not be. We're going to introduce that and we're going to introduce our, our the two people that are going to discuss it. Uh, the, taking the side of Molinism is going to be Eric Hernandez. I'm going to let him introduce himself in a bit and let you know where you can find out more about him. Uh, taking the side against Molinism will be Tyler Villa. I'm going to let him introduce uh, himself as well in a bit. And then we're just going to have a discussion. And we do these discussions for two purposes. First and foremost is to help educate you, the, the viewers, uh, 
to the topics, the theological topics that get discussed. But a second reason is, well, because we think that Christians should actually discuss theology and things we hold strongly to with love and charity for one another. In fact, we kind of figure that we're going to spend eternity together. We might as well learn to get along now. Just a strange idea we have. But uh, we, uh, we're we we're going to not have any name-calling and uh, calling each other heretics and anathematizing everyone. We'll wait for afterwards for that. No, uh, <laughs> they'll, they'll each do it on their podcasts. <laughs> but no, the uh, but really what we want to do is have a good discussion a good explanation of the points, and really make sure that the theology, uh, the two theological sides get explained and understood without uh, any name-calling and rhetoric uh, in in there. Uh, I should, I guess, introduce myself. I'm Andrew Rappaport from Striving for Eternity Ministries. You can find out more of our discipling materials and things that we have available to you at strivingforeternity.org. And so I'm going to, instead of taking time describing our ministry, hand this over first. Uh, First, what I want to do is, uh, Eric, if you would just introduce yourself and your ministry and your background, Mm -hmm. and then we'll have Tyler follow. And then I'd like Eric to start, since he's on the side of for Molinism, to explain Molinism and his position. And then I'm going to let... well, Tyler will respond and then just let the two of you guys go back and forth. I may pop in with questions or things that uh, if I just see areas where I think that folks could benefit from explanation or if terms are used that people may not know. Sometimes we do that. We we, we, we forget that not everyone knows all the theological terms we study. <laughs> so, Eric, please introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Eric Hernandez. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for having me. And uh, Tyler, uh, thanks for thanks for doing the discussion here. Um, uh, not much to introduce, uh, Christian apologist, um, not reformed, uh, Molinist, obviously. Um, been saved pretty much all my life. I don't have any kind of testimony where I was uh, into gangs or drugs or nothing like that, but uh, definitely was always curious, always wanted to ask questions. Um, took my first philosophy class as a freshman in college, uh, then took Another philosophy class, also as a freshman in college, um, and they were all by atheist philosophy professors. So uh, I, I find it amusing whenever I'm often accused of only believing what I do because of being brainwashed or what have you by Christian pastors. When in fact my um, professors of philosophy were both atheists. Um, anyways, uh, started uh, just kind of studying. Uh, had my own questions about God. Had my own questions about theology and and from the things I learned about philosophy. Just really um, opened the door to more questions, and as that went on, um, it was my freshman year, first semester. Um, being a freshman, I just kind of took it as a blow-off class. Uh, there was extra credit to attend what they had a round table. Uh, my philosophy professor would put together these uh, events where it was at least four different views, atheism, Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, and um, basically the, the moderator would ask a question to each of them, and then everybody would give an answer. Well, the Christian, of course, went first, and it was a retired missionary, a female retired missionary. She had been a missionary for 40 years or something like that. And one of the questions was something like about, do we need religion for our society? And when it went to the uh, uh, the Christian first, she said, yes, you know, we build orphanages, we do all these things, uh, wells, we help the sick. And then when it got to the atheist, he said, well, we do the same thing, we don't need religion, and if you're doing this because of God, you're doing it for the wrong reason. 
So uh, for about a couple of hours, it went on for like that. Um, and of course, it frustrated me. Long story short, I remember uh, venting to a friend about this, and my friend said, well, why don't you do it next time? And I said, well, I don't think I could. And my friend said, well, do you think you could at least do better than uh, what that person did? I said, well, maybe better than that. Like, well, then, you know, uh, well, there you go. So for me, it's I've always related to the story of David and Goliath, where David comes and just kind of sees what's going on with the Philistines. And, you know, though he's not a trained soldier, if you will, he said, look, if no one's going to do it, then I will. So uh, being a Christian apologist wasn't necessarily something um, God called me in the sense to where, like, you know, he rings on my telephone or there's a prophecy given to me. But rather, I saw that, uh, at least in my circle, uh, no one was asking these questions and no one cared to respond to the atheists who were attacking uh, uh, these beliefs and these ideas. So um, just as David did and stepped up, you know, with whatever he had, uh, did his best. That's kind of where I started. And, uh, you know, here we are today. Hello, you want to just introduce yourself and your background? Sure. Uh, my name is Tyler Vela. Um, I am the host over at the Freed Thinker podcast um, and blog, which is uh, freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. Um, I uh, it's somewhat similar, actually, to Eric's background, except I, I did grow up as an atheist. I mean, I grew up in an entirely secular home. Um, and, uh, it was actually through my, uh, philosophical studies in college, uh, somewhat similar. I had all atheistic professors, uh, at Sonoma state, a very, uh, liberal, um, uh, state school in California. Um, and it was actually through, uh, a couple of my atheistic professors, uh, one in particular who presented the moral argument, um, that started tearing down some of my, some of my naturalism. Uh, didn't come to know the Lord until I was about 20. Um, but because of my background in uh, just growing up around atheists and secularists, and I grew up in, with kind of the skate punk uh, generation. So uh, in you know high school and early years of college, I had blue hair and red hair and just all that, you know, probably, probably can't tell looking at me now, but it was uh, different colors all the time. Um, uh, and so just because of my background, uh, started engaging some of those discussions very, very early. Uh, but also similar with Eric, I noticed that a lot of people within um, kind of broader evangelicalism uh, and um, the non-denominational area that I was in um, just weren't answering those questions. Um, and because I didn't have any of the church background, I thought a lot of the things that that church believed were just what Christians were supposed to believe. And um, so started reading uh, some uh, different people that were, you know, quote, quote, unquote, on our side. And it was like, come on, guys, there's got to be better arguments than this. There's like, like it's got it's to it's be better than this. Um, and through there uh, have, have uh, come to um, a reformed understanding of the, of the faith um, and uh, still enjoy doing apologetics to the glory of God. So uh, in, some, in some ways, very, very similar to Eric. And then in some ways, uh, we ended up at opposite sides of this debate. But um, definitely think it's it's all for the glory of God. So, well, I want to I want to get a picture of you with multiple color hair. I, just for the record, I, I want to see pictures. I'm going to be looking on Facebook. <laughs> I think the closest I have is uh, there's a picture, and you can see where my hair was blue, but it, because it was, you bleach it and then do it blue, it's like a like a greenish color fading out underneath the hat. I think that's the closest that I have of a picture of it. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, 
Eric, could, could you give us a background on what Molinism is, uh, your position on it, why you hold to it? And then, uh, Tyler, I'll let you respond. And, and it's really just going to be, you know, this isn't a debate for folks who are watching. This is a discussion. In other words, it's, it's not timed. It's free flow. And we go until we're probably about two hours, but until we think that, uh, we got enough, uh, enough that we, you know, that everyone gets a good idea of it. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, basically, uh, in a nutshell, uh, I mean, there's a lot we can cover, um, but but just to uh, at least begin, um, when we talk about Molinism, we're essentially talking about uh, the attribute of God being omniscient. Uh, God has certain necessary attributes, which um, means that there are certain things, properties that God must must possess in order that makes God who He is, and that one of these are omniscience. That is, that God knows everything. To be more uh, specific, um, the uh, omniscience can be defined as uh, the view that God knows every true proposition and does not believe any false proposition. Now, what's a proposition? Uh, a proposition would be something like a declarative statement. For example, uh, the proposition, uh, Eric likes pizza, that's either true or false. And God, being omniscient, would necessarily know whether it's true or false. Um, so any proposition, any given proposition is going to be true or false, and God knows every single true proposition. Now, obviously, there are future tense true propositions, such as Eric will eat pizza tomorrow. That, as well, is a proposition that is either true or false. And once again, God, being omniscient, innately would know whether or not that's true or false. So, so far we have omniscience that God knows every true proposition. Now, Molinism. Um, also called middle knowledge, is the view that not only does God know what uh, will happen, but God knows also what's called counterfactual propositions. Now, a counterfactual proposition would be something like this. Uh, let's say for a moment that I am going to eat pizza tomorrow, and let's say that God knows I will eat pizza, and that God knows that by eating this pizza, it's going to give me a stomachache. So God knows that by eating pizza tomorrow, I'll get a stomachache. The counterfactual would be that God also knows that if I don't eat the pizza, I won't get a stomachache. Now, that would be an example of middle knowledge, um, Molinism, a, a counterfactual, if you will. Um, to get a little bit more technical, um, if we want to go there, um, the reason it's called middle knowledge is first you have uh, what's called God's natural knowledge. And what that is is that knowledge of necessary truths like 2 plus 2 equals 4. Um, when we talk about these kind of things, I'm going to be throwing around a lot of vocabulary, so stop me if you need to. Um, when we talk about these kind of things, there's something called possible world semantics. And what that means is, is when we're imagining possible worlds, we're not thinking of something like a multiverse. We're saying, what if God would have created this instead of that? Um, so what we live in right now is the actual world, meaning God created this, obviously. But God also knows what the world would have been like had he not created me, because I'm not a necessary being. I didn't have to exist. I'm what you call contingent. So obviously God knows the world that he created. I exist and he knows what I'm going to do in the future. But God also has this knowledge, this middle knowledge, uh, this counterfactual truth that what the world would have been like had I not existed or what the world would have been like had I had no brother instead of a brother or no sister instead of a sister. This would be middle knowledge, the, uh, the, the notion that God not only knows what will happen but also knows hypothetically what could happen given a different set of circumstances. And in a nutshell, that's really 
uh, what Molinism is. It's, it's, it's that God knows every true proposition, and that includes future tense, and that includes counterfactuals. Uh, we see this in the Bible, um, that God would said, if David does this, he'll prevail. If David does not, he won't prevail. Um, he says that if you turn from your ways, I'll forgive your sins. Uh, he says that, um, it was Paul, where he said that if the rulers of this world knew, they would not have crucified Christ. So you have these if-then. That, that would be the best way to put it. Um, counterfactual statements are if-then statements. And by that, they are dependent on whether or not something is going to happen. So really quick, going back to my pizza illustration, if Eric eats pizza, then he'll get a stomachache. If I don't eat pizza, I won't get a stomachache. So whether or not I go get a stomachache will be dependent on whether or not I eat pizza. And, of course, God knows which one I will take. Uh, again, in a nutshell, that, that's what Molinism is. To my knowledge, I don't know anyone who does. Personally, I don't know anyone who just disagrees with that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, of course, Tyler can speak with himself. I don't think he disagrees with that. Um, I, in fact, think that most of his objections will be regarding free will and the application of middle knowledge and not middle knowledge proper per se. Did you, want me to address, did you want me to address that point yep. right now? Um, well, uh, so I mean, sort of. So everything that was said about omniscience, um, fine, we agree. That's just standard um, omniscience. Um, I, I'm also familiar with um, counterfactual and um, you know possible world semantics. Just for those, just for those listening, I found that um, Eric touched on it, but it's it's probably important to spell out for those listening that when when Eric or myself, if we're talking about possible worlds, we're not talking about actual like parallel worlds. Uh, we're talking about um, worlds that could have logically been possible, but were not made. <laughs> Um, it's it's another um, it, it's a way about talking about um, what what could have been possible under different circumstances. We don't think that these are some type of you know parallel universes next to ours or something like that. We're not talking about multiverse in this in this case. Um, so so I, I understand that 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 there's that. Um, a couple of things, though. So one of the differences, and I I know that this is going to be primarily about Molinism. Um, and we're intentionally narrowing it down that way because Molinism versus Calvinism is just doubling the amount of, of time, and they, it tends to be pretty pretty uh, superficial if we try to go that much. Um, but one of the things that's going to come up is is I'm just going to say I'm not sure that middle knowledge is, at least on Reformed theology, is anything but a redundancy of omniscience. So if I were to say that 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 God is omniscient. Um, that that just means that he knows all true propositions um, of which counterfactuals are. So uh, so it, it's kind of like a caveat. I, I I get the point of middle knowledge, but I'm not sure the value of pulling it out as its own kind of special knowledge, um, except for it's rhetorically helpful to the Molinist, um, because just on standard classical omniscience it would just be things included under things that God knows. So, so it's, it's, yes, I agree, but with a caveat um, to, to that regard, the only, my, my only other, and this is, this is, will kind of get into a sticky wicket for us um, is that typically the, the Bible verses that are used to show 
Molinism. Um, I often have to remind people that if that's what middle knowledge is, then I have middle knowledge, right? Because I know that had an atomic bomb blown up two feet over my head, then I would be dead right now, right? I know that. Um, but do I have, do I have middle knowledge? Um, if I, if I were to say something like, um, uh, if, if an atomic bomb had blown up an hour ago, two feet over my head, then I would be dead. Um, am I expressing some type of, um, affirmation of, um, of a, a very logically possible world? Um, I'm just, I'm not sure that that gets you what you're trying to get. So when, when um, Jesus, when we go to passages um, like in Matthew, where Jesus says, look, if, if, if Corazon and, uh, and I think it's Corazon and Tyre, uh, if they had, if they had seen what they had seen, then they would have believed. Um, not only do I just think exegetically, exegetically, it's not clear that he's actually making a historical statement, um, and likely he's just kind of making a, a hyperbolic look. You guys are you guys are being ridiculous. There's there's these evil people that so much that even they would have believed. Like I, I don't think it's required that it's that, that textually that that's um, expressing middle knowledge, um, but but even if it did, I don't see how that would be. I, I don't see how that says anything about about, about God. Um, if humans, we, we can do the exact same thing. Um, and, and we often do. I mean, anytime we do an if then counterfactual statement, we're, we're doing that. So are we expressing middle knowledge? Um, so I, I'm just, I'm not clear that we can, we can pull that out of the biblical passages either. So, so at this point, it's kind of a tentative agreement. I, I get what you're trying to say. Um, and I, I largely agree, but with kind of, um, uh, I forget who the philosopher was, but but skepticism is just like a long, you know, glaring at what's being said. Uh, so you know, I get it, but um, I, I'm gonna gonna kind of uh, be skeptical um, about how those distinctions and and what what kind of freight is being added on to those to those examples as we go through this conversation. If that makes sense. All right, Andrew. Do you want to jump in? Do you want me to jump in, or? Well, you could. Well, let me let me throw a couple things out. Um, I mean, it's it sounds so. My definition of God's omniscience has always been that God knows everything, past, present, future, real, and possible. Um, and it sounds like both of you are agreeing with that as a definition. Um. <clears throat> and, and when I say not that he knows everything, it's not that he observed it and learned it. Right. Um, I'll, I'll, and, and for folks on YouTube, I am trying to keep to monitor that to see if there's questions that pop up and and I could uh, pop that in here with some of it. And so one person did have a statement that maybe it'd be interesting to interact with more, more maybe for you, Eric. It says, uh, also important to note that on Molinism, God had middle knowledge prior to, and that's emphasized, prior to the creative decree. Um, I'm thinking that's not a well-formed question or statement. Um, do you agree? Do you agree with that? That it's not well-formed, and can, you know, and also if uh, I guess I'm saying it's, I don't think it's well-formed because I don't think there was a 
time for God. And, and this, I think, Eric, you and I may disagree. <clears throat> you and I have differing views of time. Uh, I don't think there was a, uh, I don't think God's bound by time. So there wasn't a time before a creative decree for God in my way of thinking. But do you, do you agree that with that statement? Read it again if you need. Yeah, yeah. Could you read that again? It says, also important to note that on Molinism, God has middle knowledge prior to the creative decree. Uh, yeah, logically prior. Um, and, and of course, I agree with you that, there, that you know, uh, without creation, there was no time. Um, logically prior, what, what, what they mean here is because uh, uh, to clarify, and, and this is my fault, I didn't finish my thought. Um, logically prior to God creating anything, uh, middle knowledge. Uh, now, now, Tyler, to an extent, has a point. We have counterfactual knowledge. But from what I understand, middle knowledge was something God possessed prior to any anything he created. So, yes, God had this prior to his creation. And here's why we call it middle knowledge. Uh, um, this, this is where I didn't finish earlier. You have natural knowledge. Like I said, this, these are necessary truths, which means 2 plus 2 equals 4 is necessarily true. Uh, to put it differently, there's no possible world in which God could have created in which 2 plus 2 did not equal 4, if that is, in fact, necessarily true. So um, let, whenever I teach some, something like this, I ask some of my students, I say, okay, could God have created um, – could God have been a creator without creating anything physical? And, of course, the answer is yes, because God could have created angels. So in a world with just angels existing, 2 plus 2 was still equal 4. So there are some things that are necessarily true, and this is God's natural knowledge. Then you have God's free knowledge, and that's knowledge of the world that, that he did, in fact, create. So God has knowledge of this world. Now, middle knowledge is, is hypothetical, counterfactual, in the sense that there could have been a world in which God created something different that this world does or does not have, that would be God's middle knowledge. And he had this logically prior to his decree to create the actual world that we live in. Um, so Tyler was saying, you know, it, it sounded like he was implying that, you know, it's, it's a distinction without a difference. Well, if, when you apply it, uh, given that it's middle, middle because there's natural and there's free, and then this is middle knowledge because it's not in the actual world. So when you apply this, you see that, first of all, it, it can't be natural knowledge because it's not nothing necessarily true about this. It's not free knowledge because it's not knowledge of the world that God did create, hence middle knowledge. So there is a distinction and, and an important one, and depending on how or where you apply it, um, gives relevance to a lot of doctrines, a lot of other, uh, uh, reconciling a lot of other views about God, attributes about God, give it uh, free will, uh, the problem of evil or anything like that. But the reason it is a distinction is because it, it is not natural knowledge. They're not necessarily true. It's not free knowledge because it's not knowledge of what's going on in this world or what will happen. It's middle knowledge because it's hypothetical and given certain circumstances, other things could have occurred. Yeah, I, I still think it might be a distinction without a difference. So, so even even if we just say it's it's you know it's helpful um, for taxonomy of the of the type of uh, of knowledge, um, I'm not sure then um, how middle knowledge is is any different than counterfactual knowledge, um, and and I'm and I'm I'm actually not even sure. So if those aren't actual worlds. Um, then I'm not sure how counterfactual knowledge isn't just derivative of free knowledge, right? So, um, 
I don't, I don't have knowledge of another possible world. I, I have knowledge of what would have happened in this world had something happened, um, which is kind of a confusing way to say it. But um, I, I mean, we, we both, we both, I said it and you nodded in agreement, right? We're not, we're not talking about parallel universes, right? Um, we're talking about other logical possible ways that this world could have functioned. Right. So so by by God not exploding and not having an atomic bombs explode over my head 10 minutes ago, um, uh, he he effectively um, had this as the logically the, the, the logical possible outcome. Uh, I'm not sure that that's middle knowledge of another possible world, even in the even in the possible world semantics that seems to be derivative on what he actually chose to do in this world. Um, so uh, again, even, even if it's just, even if it's just taxonomy, I still don't see the difference between, I mean, because that, because in the same way, then I have natural knowledge. I know that two plus two is four. Um, I have free knowledge because I know knowledge about what's happening in this world. And then I have middle knowledge because I have, uh, again, I know what would have happened if an atomic bomb blew up over my head 10 minutes ago. Um, so again, I, I, I again, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow it. No, I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna accept the, the taxonomy, but just with the caveat of, um, it might be a helpful taxonomy, but I, I'm not sure how much um, biblical warrant we should give to it um, or, th or theological warrant we should give to it, right? It, so um, going forward. So it, it, it's it's kind of a, a yellow flag on the field, but I might throw up a red flag later if um, this is being, um, I, I think, misused in ways that I think it will be misused later. So I just want to, I just want to preemptively lodge my, my complaint now. So when it comes up later, people, people see why. Um, but um, so yeah, so yeah, I, I get it taxonomically speaking. I'm just not sure how substantive it is. So yeah. Um, well, uh, like I said, it, it's, it can't be part of his free knowledge because uh, uh, a few distinctions. You, you may have counterfactual knowledge, but you wouldn't have middle knowledge because you don't know what the world would have been like had you not existed. You wouldn't know what the world would have been like had you had an, another sibling. Uh, you don't know what the world would have been like had uh, you lost a certain family member that you still have. So you don't have that knowledge. Only God would have that knowledge, being omniscient. Um, we may ha we may guess at it, but God, of course, being omniscient, would know for sure. Uh, what uh, would happen in another possible world in which certain things did or did not exist. Now you have counterfactual knowledge in the sense that if I pull into traffic right now, I can make it, but if I wait one more second, I'll hit a car. That's counterfactual knowledge, but God has this middle knowledge of possible worlds that he could have created. Um, God knows what the world would have been like had he created less people or had he made it, you know, the sun just a little bit hotter. I mean, whatever the case is, God has this knowledge for us. We, we probably couldn't have this knowledge. Um, and then free knowledge is knowledge of this world, which would include foreknowledge, knowledge of the future. And, of course, we don't have knowledge of the future like he does, um, or he would have exhaustive knowledge of everything. And so the distinction, I think, is pretty clear in that what's true, for example, I would do something tomorrow. It's true. But it's not necessarily true because I could have not existed. So that's free knowledge. So it's not the same as natural knowledge where it's something is necessarily true, 
And then you have middle knowledge where it's a hypothetical and given other circumstances that are not in this world, other things would have occurred. Right. I, I get the distinction. So I, I think the only way that you can make middle knowledge something other than counterfactual knowledge is if you say in order for it to be middle knowledge, it must be exhaustive. Um, because otherwise, um, no, I, I think that I actually, if, if I don't have to have exhaustive knowledge, I think that I actually do have counterfactual knowledge. Um, uh, I, I think that I, I think that I know, um, that if, for example, uh, I can know the counterfactual knowledge that had I had a sibling, my parents would have used, um, uh, my parents would have split their resources between two children. Um, I, I can, I I can know things like um, uh, I, I can know very very basic counterfactual knowledge. Like um, had I been, had I had a sibling, my life would have been different. Uh, so I, I think that I I think that there are very I, I think that there are lots of counterfactual things that we can know. I, I and future tense ones. Um, if if uh, starting tomorrow I gain no more water or nourishment to my system from here on out until I die, I will not live another thirty years. I know that as a fact. Um, so, um, and, and if you're going to say, okay, well, you know, the second coming could happen. Okay. So I could, I could then just caveat it. Right. So I could say, okay, well, I know if I gain no more water or, or nourishment of any kind into my body, barring the second coming of Jesus Christ, then I will not live another 40 years. Right. So uh, there's always ways that you can, that you can nuance them so that, so that you know those things. Um, now, I might not have exhaustive knowledge, right? I might not know every single counterfactual proposition. Um, so, so in that sense, you might need to say, okay, well, middle knowledge is just is counterfactual knowledge, but it's exhaustive. Um, that that's the only way that I could see how middle knowledge um, would be a helpful taxonomy at that point. But then it's it's not a it's not really um, it's not really a qualitative difference. It's just a quantitative difference. It's just a matter of degree um, that God knows you know more thing more things counterfactually um, than we know. So again, um, you know I, I don't know how much we want to stick on this point. Uh, I think there's more beneficial points to go go on later um, and towards, but um, I. I think that a lot is made up out of middle knowledge, and and I and I should say even going going forward, um, uh, and and not that this is is quite what you're doing, um, but a lot of times what happens with middle knowledge, um, if you've ever debated a theonomist um, and they say, oh well, do you love the do you love the law of the Lord? Yes, I do. Well, then you're a theonomist because theonomy just means the 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 love of the law of the Lord. Mm -mm. Cause theonomy entails it, it, as a system is far more than that. So, um, I, I would like to, to, to move on and have you start presenting, um, your actual view of, of Molinism as a system because Molinism is more than middle knowledge, right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reformed and Presbyterian. And if, if by, if by middle knowledge, you just mean exhaustive counterfactual knowledge, okay, that's just what even Andrew, you know, that's just part of how we would, you know, that's, that's just the orthodox part of the orthodox definition of, of omniscience. So, um, so, you know, we can, I think we can move on from that point. Uh, but I, but I would like to hear more about your specific system of Molinism because I know Molinists vary. And so I want to make sure if we're discussing it, we're discussing your version of it. 
Okay. Um, well, I, I, I guess we'd just have to agree to disagree at this point because I, I still think it's a, it's a clear distinction, a, a little bit deeper than than counterfactual, and and I would say at the core that is what what uh, middle knowledge uh, Molinism is. It's middle knowledge, and like I said, there's different applications to it. I, I know of Calvinists who are as well uh, Molinist, um, but given one one application that uh, the most obvious I would say would be that. If God has this knowledge prior to his decree, knowing everything that could happen in any possible world, based on that, he would know which world he would want to freely create um, based on this knowledge. So uh, if his goal was to have an optimal balance of, of saved people uh, or unsaved people, um, to take out as much gratuitous evil, uh, people who are not evangelized, people who don't get saved, uh, what have you, if God were to create a world with a certain goal in mind, he would have the exhaustive knowledge of every possible world and know which world, first of all, that are possible to create. So if God were to create a world with free creatures, then he couldn't force them to freely do something because obviously they wouldn't be free. So um, as I'm sure you've often heard, couldn't have God have created a world where everyone chose to accept Christ? And, and logically speaking, sure, but if he wanted them as free, then no, he couldn't have created a world in which he caused people to freely choose because that's not freedom. So though it's logically possible, it's not feasible for God to create. So God looks at, and, and I'm speaking, <laughs> I should not have said, look, I'm speaking uh, anthropomorphically here. Uh, God knows every possible world and knows that there are some worlds that though logically possible aren't feasible if he's going to create a world with free creatures. And then from that, he sees which worlds are feasible. And then based on his middle knowledge, knows which world to create given the goal that he has in mind. So that's where middle knowledge would play a huge role. Uh, anything from why would God create people who he knows would not be saved? Well, it's quite possible that in any world God creates these people in, um, they won't be saved. And that he can give them uh, sufficient grace for salvation and, and that they wouldn't choose to be saved. So God ha no, having all this knowledge uh, would know which world to create. He would make the wisest choice um, based on the, the options that are available to him. Uh, so, I, I just want—I want to ask a couple of uh, clarifying questions before I, I respond, um, because um, to give you the benefit of the doubt, uh, I, I'm not sure that you meant to say some of the things how you phrased it, um, because it—it—it it, it, it came off as um, well. Let me let me just ask. So, so you you agree um, that God that that one logically possible world is where. All, all humans freely believe in God. That, like, that's a logically possible world. Sure. Okay. Um, and, and and you and so I, I just want to go and because you made an argument. So I'm I'm trying to break down the points of your argument. So you said he could have chosen a world where all people freely believe, right? At the same time, he couldn't create a world where he forces them to freely believe. Well, right? because then they wouldn't be free. Right, right, right. So, okay. So, uh, right now, I'm just, I'm just want to clarify to, to make, um, um, just to clarify to make sure I'm, I'm understanding what you were saying. Yeah, um, and if I could just, just add to that, to yeah, that clarification, please. please. Yeah, what, what I'm saying is that God could have created a world in which people, all people, created freely chose, but then of course, that would imply that the people that He created would choose without being caused to, to choose God, and they would do so freely which would not depend on God, would depend on 
the free choice of these people. Now that's logically possible, but it's also possible that given any world that God creates, someone's going to mess up. So meaning that not everyone would freely choose. Uh, uh, hold on. I'm, all, I'm trying to take notes while we go. Uh, so, so basically um, that there's, there's that logical possible, but it's also a logical possibility um, that every world um, at least one, you know, we could say at least, at least one person would mess up would would sit. Sure. Freely. Right. Yeah. One would. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a slow typer, <laughs> but I want to make sure I, I'm accurately getting uh, what you're saying. Um, yeah, and, and by sin and, and, and you're, you're right about the phrasing uh, more specifically speaking, not of accepted salvation. So not just sinning because of course we all sin. Although I wouldn't mind saying it's logically possible, but Speaking of salvation strictly here, yeah, there, there's if God creates anyone, it's quite possible that at least someone's not going to choose. Okay, so 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 it's 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 okay. So there's there's a logically possible world in which um, all would freely believe, right? Not not under coercion, but but a hundred percent of humanity would would freely believe, sin or not sin, everyone would eventually freely believe, right? right. Okay, um, he couldn't create a world where he forces them to freely believe regardless of sin. Well, right, because that's that's a contradiction. You can't force freedom. Okay. Um, in the libertarian sense, yes. Um, <laughs> so, but then, so then I want to, I want to, before I respond, I want to get clarification. So then you, then you said that such a world, um, even though it's logically possible, it might not be feasible for God to exist. Could you, could you tease out what you meant by, by that world might not be feasible for God to exist? Uh, feasible for God to create, meaning that. I'm uh, oh, sorry, for God to create. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, well, like I, I think you got it in what you said just earlier. Is that um, in order for a a world of free creatures to freely choose, for all of them to freely choose Christ to be saved, that would depend on them. Now, God couldn't create a world to force freedom because that would be a logical contradiction. So that wouldn't be feasible, though it is logical. Okay, so 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 it's logically possible for God to create a world in which all people. So there is a logically possible world in which all people freely believe, right? But but you're saying that that world isn't feasible for God to create because in creating it, He would be forcing their will to believe. Well, I, I, I'm trying to understand the connection between um, between that logically possible world and that world not being feasible. What what is it about that world that makes it not feasible for God to create? So, so, so kind of tease out that, that distinction between what is logically possible, but why for specifically for an omnipotent God, it wouldn't be. And what do you mean by feasible? Do you just mean possible? Do you mean logically possible? No. So kind of, kind of tease out what you mean by feasible. I mean, actualizable. It wouldn't be, uh, he wouldn't be able to actualize it because again, he's, as I've often, I, I heard Frank Turk say at first that God is responsible for the fact of freedom while human beings are responsible for their acts of freedom so it's logically possible for me to flip a quarter a thousand times and land heads every single time that's logically possible um and of course this is a loose analogy but of course that's not going to happen i'm not going to flip a quarter and it's going to uh, flip heads a thousand times in a row so though something is logically possible doesn't mean it's actualizable or even metaphysically possible uh, i'm talking here strict logical possibility 
uh, and those are just some technical terms there. So though it's logically possible, meaning there's no contradiction in saying that God could create a world in which everyone freely chose him, there's no contradiction in saying it, thus it's strictly logically possible, doesn't entail that God could create a world in which everyone did that. Now, you might say that God could force everyone to accept him, but then that wouldn't be freedom. So do you not then hold to um, the classical definition of omnipotence as God can do whatever is logically possible? Yes, I do hold to that. But if if it's logically possible, so is it, so, okay. There's a logically possible world in which all people freely believe. Do you think it's also logically possible that God could create a world in which all people freely believe? Well, remember though, well, sure, but then that would, that would, in, could God create a world in which everyone freely chose? Yes, but you have to understand that that's going to be dependent on us, not God. So it's not a matter of God's power. It's a matter of our choice. And this is, of course, assuming that there's libertarian free, free will. So if any and every world that God creates, we choose, or at least one person chooses not to accept Christ, then that's not a fault of God's omnipotence by any means. Okay. I, I think I get where you're going. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one... Um, one minor objection, and then I'm going to get into what is, I think, a far more substantial objection to Molinism. Um, you had mentioned that um, you have a logically possible world in which um, all people uh, freely believe. But then you also said it's logically possible that in every world, at least one, pe one person would freely sin or would freely deny salvation. Um, I'm not convinced that those are both logically possible because in order in order for that to happen, you you would then have to entail a log, a logical contradiction, right? It's like it's like um, in in modal logic, there's an objection to modal logic that says, look, is there a logically possible world in which there are no other logically possible worlds, right? It's like it's like Dennett's universal acid. Um, the the if you if you have that one logical possibility that there are no other logical possibilities. If you grant that that's true, then you undermine the entire system, right? So, so if I could, if if that's true, then I could say, okay, well, it's also it's also logically possible that there are no other logically possible worlds, right? Which is logically possible. It's strictly speaking, it's logically possible that there are no other logical possible worlds. If that's true, it's a universal acid, and it deletes all other logical possibilities. I think you have that here. So I think I think what you're 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 trying to have your cake and eat it too. So you're trying to say that there's a there's a logically possible world in which everyone freely believes. Well, that's actually not a logically possible world if it's also true that it's logically possible that in every world at least one person would freely sin, right? That that being logically possible would undermine the first one. I don't think you can have both. Um, I don't think you've gone towards the, the second one yet. Um, so we can kind of hold that intention for now. Um, but I think that's going to be a problem. My bigger problem, um, and this, and this actually is probably one of my biggest problems with Molinism is, and, and I, and I'll, I'll turn the screws a little bit tighter as we go. Um, do you think that in this world, in the actual world, I can freely do different than what God foreknew I would do. So when God actualized this world and he foreknew that um, I would do X, 
can I freely do the opposite of X? Is it, is it logically possible for me to do not X? Yeah. Um, let me, let me first, uh, respond to something you said earlier. You're, you're saying about, uh, the logical possibilities, uh, by by something that is strictly logical possible. Like I said, it simply means that it, that it's not a contradiction. Uh, there's no logical, there's no possible world in which two plus two equals five. There's no possible world in which married bachelors exist. So just because something is logically, strictly logically possible doesn't mean it's actualizable, which means it might actually be the case that there is no world in which God could create in which everyone would freely choose Christ. Uh, to answer your question, could uh, was can I do something other than what God knows? Is that right? Yeah, but before we go, actually, yeah, let's go on. Let's go on to there because it's going to come up. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm still not clear how an omnipotent God would have, um, if it's logically possible for Him to create that world, and if omnipotence is the ability to do anything that's logically possible. I'm still not clear how uh, God would have a logically possible thing that He wasn't. He wouldn't able to bring about. Right. That that seems to directly undermine omnipotence. Uh, but we will come back to that. So, so because it, it, it's part of this answer to this question. Yes, my question is: In this world, could I act differently than what God for than how God foreknew I would act? Yeah. Well, I'm going to resist the temptation to answer what you said earlier because you said you'll bring it up later. So I'll leave it at it's, that. Could yeah, it'll it'll come up in like ten seconds, I think, depending on how you answer this question. So okay. Um, can, can I do anything other than what God knows? Well, see, that, that, that the question, again, like I said earlier, is really dealing with uh, omniscience. If God knows all true propositions, then whatever I do, God will know. So no matter what I do, God knows what I'll, that I'll do that. So the, the, the more appropriate question is, whatever I do, does God know it? And the answer is yes, of course. Now, if you're asking, is it logically possible for me to do other than what I will do? Well, then, yeah, it's logically possible, but whatever I do, God will know. Um. Okay, let me let me see if I can phrase this a different way. So let's let's say in this world, this is a low number, but let's say one billion people accept salvation, right? I mean, just I'm, I'm I know it's way more than that, but I'm just for an easy number. One billion people accept salvation, right? In this world, so before the foundations of the time uh, of time, God. I'm going to say surveyed the options. I know you don't think that God like laid out all the options, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to do the God learned and decide, right? I'm, I'm not trying to, to do that. I'm just, it's the only way we can really talk about it. Uh, God, um, you know, looked at all the logically possible worlds and decided um, that the best possible world is this one where 1 billion people accept salvation, right? And he actualized this world, mm -hmm. right? Why was why why was this world feasible and actualizable with one billion, but one billion and one wasn't actualizable? Well, I'm not saying that it wasn't. So if if the goal is to bring, so why wouldn't he create a world in which one bill isn't one billion and one uh, a better world than one billion? Not necessarily, no. But is it is it just as actualizable? Uh, I would, well, is it just I, as I feasible for God? My, I would like to say yes. Okay. Because you can't, now, now God's not just looking at how many people are saved because you can have a world in which 1 billion people are saved, but 2 billion are lost. 
and then you can have a world in which one billion are saved and only one's lost. So, so we're not just factor, or rather, not we, but God is not just factoring in who is saved. There's a lot more to that. And of course, us having finite minds dealing with an omniscient, infinite mind, uh, and there's way more things to be factored in. Yeah, I'm sorry that. That's not really my question, though. So I, I'm going towards, I, I'm trying to understand this feasible and actualizable thing, right? So because part of the problem, and, and let me just lay my cards on the table. Part of the problem is, is it seems like if you're saying, okay, there's this logically possible world where 100% of the people uh, freely accept salvation and God foreknows it, right? But you're saying God can't actualize that, or, or it might not be feasible for God to actualize that world because once he actualizes that world, then we might not all freely believe, right? We, no. we might act differently than what God foreknew. So I'm trying to figure out why is it on that world, it's not feasible because we might, we might do something other than what God foreknew, but on this world, because this is gonna be very important for, for Molinism, on, on this world, um, you're gonna wanna try to salvage sovereignty and providence and that type of thing and you're gonna say okay well um you know why why does this happen uh well because god foreknew it right he doesn't he doesn't force us to do it we freely do it but he foreknew that we would freely do it right why is that relationship between foreknowledge and freedom different with one billion people than one billion one or one billion two or X number of people that represents 100% of humanity, right? I, I'm not, I'm not sure metaphysically why on one case we would do differently than what we got. I'm not sure why in the one case, God actualizing that world is forcing us to freely choose. Whereas on this world, actualizing our free choice based on his knowledge, isn't forcing our freedom of choice. Like I, I'm not sure why the quantity of people somehow makes a qualitative or a metaphysical difference for an omnipotent God who can do all logically possible things. If that yeah, makes well, sense. Uh, kind of, but you, but you bring, you, you brought up like three different points at once and sorry, I had to get up to get some paper. Um, so maybe we should take one point at a time. First of all, if it's not actualizable for God to create a world in which everyone chooses to freely accept Christ, then uh, and my battery is low, and God knew this would happen in this possible world, so I'm going to have to get my charger. Um, but really quick, and then I'll let you say something. It, it, you can't say that once God actualizes that world, because if that world's not actualizable, he can't actualize it. I mean, that, that, that's, that would be a contradiction to say that once he actualizes the world, it's not actualizable. But, of course, it, wasn't never, it was never actualizable in the first place. But, right, that's exactly what I'm trying to figure out. Why would a world... So why would a logically possible world not be actualizable for an omnipotent being, right? If, it, if, it's, if it's logically possible for God to create the world where all people freely believe, and if omnipotence is, God can do all logically possible things, that, I mean, this is, this is almost a modus ponens, then therefore God could create a world in which all people freely believe. And, and I, so I'm just I, I'm not sure where 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 the movement is coming from to say that such a world is not feasible, is not actualizable for an omnipotent being. And I know he's trying to <clears throat> get his uh, his battery plugged in. So I'll, I'll jump in <clears throat> just real quick to say. 
I do want to see, I, I hope uh, both of you are seeing the comments that I'm dropping in there in the side chat so that you guys could uh, interact with some of those as well. Um, I, I would like to see, you know, because I know you guys are both have a background in philosophy. <laughs> um, let's see if we can get to, to seeing if we can make the argument from scripture as well. But, uh, all so, right. Yeah, I'm back. back Eric. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're, you're asking, um, you don't see how an omnipotent being cannot create this word if it's logically possible. Uh, l let me give you an example real quick. It, it is strictly logical possible, logically possible to say that if I flip a quarter, it's going to turn into an elephant. Now, why is this strictly logically possible? Because there's no contradiction in saying that, but it's not actualizable. It's not metaphysically possible. So though it is strictly logical logically possible and that's to say we're not saying that god's creating a world with married bachelors of course that would be logically impossible so to say that god could create a world in which people freely chose that's not a logical contradiction so it's logically possible however if free creatures have the choice to accept christ they also have the choice to not so it wouldn't be again a fault on god's omnipotence any more than God can't create a squared circle or a married bachelor. So it's not a fault of his omnipotence. It, it's like asking if if um, God's omnipotent, can he learn? No. Well, I can learn. Okay. Well, God can't learn. Oh, well, then I'm stronger than God. No, it's not a matter of omnipotence. It's a matter of, of being actual actualizable. And again, that if people have freedom, then there's no way he can guarantee that free people will freely choose other than to say that he'll force them to, but then it's not freedom. Um, it seems to me that if God exists, you could flip that world is actualizable. Um, God, I mean, it, it would, it, I, I grant that it's a trivial example. We're not trying to say that go flip a coin and it'll turn into an elephant or anything like that. But it seems like, um, should God desire to do that, that is a lot, that is a feasible, that is a logically, that not just a logically possible world, that, but that is a world that God could actualize. We, we could flip a coin and it could turn into an elephant. If God, if God so choose, I mean, um, something just absurd is, you know, it's logically possible for a donkey to talk. Um, so, so I, you know, I'm not sure just a brute appeal to incredulity um, can show why a world isn't feasible. So I, well, I don't know. Well, <laughs> right now we're talking all things being equal. Of course, if a donkey's talking, God's intervening. But let, let's not argue the the illustrations or analogies. Uh, let's get to the actual the. I guess the principle of what we're saying here, as opposed to just the illustrations of what we're saying. Um, Andrew, you had mentioned something earlier while I was getting my uh, plug. What was that? He, he wanted us to, to look at the comments that are coming up. Uh, let, um, and and so, to try to make some scriptural arguments. Do you, do you mind? So I'm um, sorry, this, this goes directly against the thing you just asked us to do. Uh, we'll get, I, I promise to get there in a second to the scriptural arguments. Um, I just wanted to make this clear, and I, Andrew, I don't know if you can somehow put this up for people, but um, I I like to think in syllogism sometimes, um, and so this is the this is this is the argument that I would make. Uh, premise one: If God is omnipotent, then God can do all logically possible things. Two: God is omnipotent, therefore three: God could do all logically possible things. Right? I think I think we're on the same page. Four, it's logically possible for God to create world P in which X people freely believe. 
right? X is a is just a stand-in for any number of people that freely believe, right? There's 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 nothing about I don't think you would say that there's any quantitative level that would make some world logically po impossible, right? So it follows from that, therefore, God could create P, right? The variable X, we could put one person, two person, three person, one billion, one billion, one, one billion, two, up to and including the total number of people that have been ever lived on Earth, right? <clears throat> What I'm asking is, at what level and for what reason, like what's the threshold where X becomes unfeasible for God and why, right? Why is this amount of people in this actual world feasible, but this amount of people plus one unfeasible, which you said, well, it could still be feasible. Okay, well, why not this amount of people plus two? And, and, I, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, well, it's possible that it's this amount of people plus one, but a billion more people go to hell. I'm saying less people go to hell. It's an inverse. So if one more person goes to heaven, one less person goes to hell, right? One more good, one less evil. Um, so, right. So, so why is it that simply basically pillaging hell and adding them to heaven, adding them into those who believe, why does simply increasing that number make it unfeasible if God is actually omnipotent, right? That, that, that's, that's the question. And then, and then we can go to the, you know, we'll go to the scripture or answer some of these questions and look at the scripture because it is, it is Andrew's show and we want to respect uh, his, his wishes. He is, he is the great and mighty Andrew here. Um, but. Uh, wow. Are you deluded? Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm polite uh, sometimes. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, tr I'm still just trying to understand before I move on where the invisibility comes from like what's what's the condition that makes a certain world unfeasible for an omnipotent being what is that I, I, that's what i'm having trouble understanding yeah uh, well let's talk about broadly broadly logically possible um again this wouldn't be the with, I think we're we're talking about omnipotence in one essence, and then we're talking about let, let's address the elephant in the room: libertarian free will, whether or not that exists. And if libertarian free will exists, then that has nothing to do with God's omnipotence. If He gave us libertarian free will, then we have the freedom to reject Him. And if we have the freedom to reject Him, then it's not possible for God to force us to freely choose Him if we don't want to accept Him. So right, that but, would but, not be logically sorry. possible. So in a world in which people have libertarian freedom. Then no, it's not broadly logically possible for God to create a world in which everyone freely chose if someone didn't want to choose. But at that same time, you're going to have that problem whether it's 100% of humanity freely believes or one person freely believes. Because by that same rationale, any world that God creates, my freedom could trump his foreknowledge. No, 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 no. You, right. you can't confuse freedom with foreknowledge. These are two. I'm not. I'm not confusing it. I'm not saying his foreknowledge well, causes my freedom. Okay, well, okay. Hold on, though. But there's no trumping here. If God, if I have free will, then God knows what I'm going to do. There's no trumping there. So no matter what I do, God knows that I'll do that. So if I have free will and God is omniscient, there is no trumping because whatever I do, God will know, even so, if I do it freely. Okay. So is there is there a world? Okay. Let's 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 narrow the propositions. Is there a world in which all people freely believe and God knows that? An actualizable world? I don't know. Is it logically possible? Sure. But again, you're going back to people's freedom. Then we're not talking about God's omnipotence. We're talking about whether or not people are going to actually do this. Okay. But so, so 
because you're going to have this problem for the actual world. No matter which world you posit here, the, the, the question that I'm coming to is, so there's a logically possible world where all humans freely believe, and God knows that, right? He knows that in that world, if he actualizes that world, all people will freely believe, right? It's, it's, the, exact, it's, it's the exact same claim for the actual world, just the number of people is different. It's the exact same Molinist claim, right? So, so God, God foreknew that in this world, this amount of people would believe, right? So if you're, if you're trying to escape it for the universal salvation world, then you also have to escape it for the actual world. But if you do that, that means that if God for, cause, right? Because in, in the universal salvation world, I'm saying is there's a world in which there's universal salvation and God knows that right? So if you're going to say, okay, well, that's not feasible because human freedom, right? Well, then I'm going to say, okay, well, that applies to the actual world too. So in the actual world, 1 billion people believe, and God knows that, but human freedom. So, um, so I could, so I could freely act in a way other than how God foreknew, I, or, I or this world wouldn't be feasible for God to create. No, no, I think you're missing it again. If people are free, then God knows what they're going to do. So you can't say that God knows these people are going to do that, and they say, oh, they don't do that. Well, then God didn't know it. If God knows it, it's because we do it. So we're not going to do anything other than what God knows because God knows what we're going to do because that's, in fact, what we are going to do. So it's not logically possible – excuse me – it is not broadly logically possible that – God would create a world in which everyone freely chose if it's up to us. So if we're going to do this, if we are going to make our decision, then God would know what decision we'd make. And it's just quite the case that the reason everyone's not saved is because not everyone chooses. So, right. But, but we've, we've already said that there's a logically possible world in which all people Strictly freely believe. Possible. And, I, and, and, I, and, I've, and I've been trying to make the clarification that it, but if we have the freedom – then it's not feasible in the sense that, no, it's not the case that everyone's going to freely choose. So it becomes not broadly logically possible, actualizable, for God to create a world like that because he can't guarantee that everyone's going to freely choose. That just seems like definitional fiat. I mean, that, so because you could say the exact same thing for the actual world. What do, you, what, what do you mean by you can say the exact same thing? If, if by that you mean that we can reject him in this actual world, then sure. I, but I don't see the problem with that. Why, why is that a problem to say that we can reject him in this world? Because, so, okay. God, so on, on Molinism, God has all these logically possible worlds that he could have actualized. Right. Right? He chose the, the actual world but there's only for, for whatever you know, this is every Molinist is different for the maximum amount of his glory, the maximum amount of salvation, whatever it is, for whatever X, Y, Z criteria he chose, he chose this world because he foreknew the outcome of this world and our free choices. Okay. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Right. So why is it that um, in this world, this world is actualizable based on our free choices Right. And God foreknows that, where right. one billion people believe, right? But, but in an analogous world, there's no qualitative difference. X amount of people believe, 
it's just the number of people, X amount of people believe. Right. And God knows that. <clears throat> yeah. Let, let, and, and he knows, and he knows that we would freely believe. Right. So why, why couldn't, and it does come to omnipotence, right? Because I'm not asking why God couldn't force them to believe in that world. I'm asking before the foundations of the world, when God was choosing which world to actualize under Molinism, why couldn't an omnipotent God, why yeah. isn't it feasible for an omnipotent God to actualize that world where he foreknows that we would yeah. all universally believe, but it is possible for God to actualize this world right. where God foreknows X number, right? Why yeah, does yeah. the quantity make a difference for the feasibility of God, right? That's all well, there's, right. There's a lot of factors to consider. First of all, we're not just considering saved because you have to also consider a few other things. It's quite possible that some people are saved um, because of other people. For example, some of the questions and, and, and areas that I began to study as a Christian were because of atheists who probably will never give their life to God, but it's because of them that I began to study certain things about theology and philosophy. So in a sense, you know, there's some atheists that say, thank you for being used by God because, because of your skepticism, what have you, you've pushed me to study harder. Now, it's quite possible that in any world that it was feasible for God to create, that in order for certain events to lead up to my salvation, included that some people existed that were not going to be saved and that were going to be skeptical as they were. So there you have a world in which, uh, which limits now the, um, the actualizable worlds to worlds in which some people will freely choose to reject him. And it might be the case that only in worlds in which some people freely choose to reject God, certain people will be saved or, or the, the amount of whatever his goal is will be, will be uh, um, accomplished, but only if and only if, some people freely choose to reject him. Uh, as, as the word says, you know, he made, uh, I hear Calvin say this all the time, that he made, you know, some vessels for honor and, and whatnot. So it, God uses everyone, whether they're saved or not. And I mean this in the sense that given his middle knowledge, he knows what free creatures would do in any given situation. So if you take one person out of this world, let, let's say, uh, to stick with your, with your example of a billion people, let's say, uh, another billion people aren't going to be saved. But if you take out one of those billion people, then you affect someone who is going to be saved. So you can't just consider saved people and the free choices of saved people. You have to also consider that my salvation may have been a ripple effect because of someone who was not saved. And without that person, I might have not been saved. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I, I can tell by Andrew's face that he wants us to move on to some of the questions and some of the Bible verses. So uh, probably, probably leave it. Andrew, you think leave it up to the listeners to decide uh, this point for now? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that... I, I think we're yeah, just going to keep saying the same thing. Yeah, now. yeah. yeah. And I, do, I mean, I do think that some of this is heavy on philosophy. I, the question I was going to have for you, Tyler, was this. Um, I, I know you did You did on, uh, was it one? I think you did two shows on Molinism. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let me, I was going to throw this out for discussion is, um, what do you, what do you see as the, the danger with Molinism is going to be a question for you. And then a, a, a question really that may also be more for Eric and spark things is to me, it seems that really at the heart of the differences is not so much God's knowledge, but the issue of free will. And so I, I, that's a question for Eric. Is that more the issue of contention? So those are the two questions I have for each of you. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so, um, 
for me, and I and I don't mean this to sound harsh, but I but I am a rather staunch critic of Molinism. Um, this is kind of a backhanded compliment. Um, is I'm glad that Eric holds Molinism inconsistently. Um, I think that if you hold Molinism and you take it to its logical end, um, I think it entails open theism. Um, and I think it, I think it entails not only open theism, but I think it entails, and I think I've shown, I think it entails an undermining of the omnipotence of God. Open theism is an undermining of the omniscience of God. And I think there are objections to Molinism that also undermine the omnibenevolence of God. Um, so I, I think that if you, if you push it to its logical ends, um, and hold it in a in a in a tightly consistent way, in the same way that I think Arminianism held to its logical end, um, it entails Pelagianism. Um, I, so I, I think it's I think it's a major major danger. Um, so so you know, and we can get into some of those a little bit. Uh, but I, I think I I think I and you know, it's for your listeners to decide. I think I've shown um, how the philosophical underpinnings of it undermine omnipotence. Um, because you you really have to say, well, God is omnipotent to do all logically possible things, but here's this logically possible thing, and it's not feasible for God to do. Um, and you know, to be to be frank, I just I haven't heard a reason why that's the case. Besides, well, it's just not the case. So um, so you know, um, again, some 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 listeners are probably like. Tyler, you're missing his point. And some listeners are probably like, go, go, go. So, you know, it, it, it's going to, it's going to go back and forth. But um, so I, I, that is why I think it actually is um, not only uh, um, wrong, but I think it can be dangerous if you hold it consistently. The other thing, and we'll get into um, the Bible passages here. Um, the other thing is uh, I just think in order to support it, um, it heavily relies on, on uh, Arminian um, theology, which I also think is very problematic. I, I don't know how anyone can can hold to, to can be a, a Reformed or a Calvinist and hold to Molinism unless it's that very, very broad, well, Molinism just is middle knowledge. And by middle knowledge, we mean what the rest of us mean by omniscience. Um, kind of the same thing I said with theonomy where, you know, um, if theonomy just is the love of God, then sure, I'm a theonomist. Um, but if you hold it in its its actual theological system, then there's no way in the world I'm a theonomist. Um, so I don't know how we could say that anyone who's reformed could be a Molinist, um, unless we mean they're a Molinist in that they affirm that kind of watered down notion of middle knowledge. Um, so those those are those are the two um, areas of, of overall danger that I would see. And and uh, first off, I'll just say thank you because you made the argument I've been making against theonomy for the longest time. That's an it's a fallacy of equivocation. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely the difference between theonomy and theonomy, the theological system. Yeah, lowercase t and uppercase t. Yeah. So yeah. so uh, the, Eric, the, there's some you know heretic named David Shepard that keeps wanting to uh, get a question asked of you. <laughs> And for, for folks who don't know, Eric and, and I both know David. He's a good guy, but we do like to have fun with at his expense. But I posted it in there. He said, uh, how does Molinism entail open theism if God knows every possibility of everything? Right. Well, well, a, a few things. I, I, and, and, I, and I don't necessarily hold this against them, but I, I, 
keep saying that Tyler has a, a interesting way of bringing up like four or five points in like two minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'd like to take each point, you know, uh, step by step if we can. Um, but of course, I would require that we take one point at a time and discuss it. Um, regarding re regarding what Ty David's essentially asking, what Tyler was saying earlier, I, I don't get this either. I've heard Tyler say this before that that Molinism leads to open theism or implies open theism. I don't see how the view that God knows not just everything that I will do, but everything that I could possibly do in a hypothetical situation. If God knows every true proposition, I don't see how in the world that would imply open theism. For those that don't know, open theism is a view that God does not know the future. But if Molinism strictly affirms that God does know the future, then how would that imply that he doesn't know the future? That, that just doesn't make sense. Um, that That's just to... Uh, really, it's it's equivocating, uh, depending on on where where he wants to place that. But he can explain it on his own. But no, it wouldn't imply open theism at all. Um, I don't see. He said I was being an inconsistent Molinist. I don't see how. Um, how can one be a Calvin? And then he also brought up the point: How can one be a Calvinist and a Molinist? Well, prior to God's decree, God had knowledge of every single. Uh, a true proposition and we've already made the distinction and he keeps saying I don't see this distinction um, I, I'll go ahead and believe him here but I, I've, I've made it quite a bit already that free knowledge is knowledge of this actual world natural knowledge is necessary truth middle knowledge is hypothetical counter uh, uh, more than counterfactual it's hypothetical other possible world so it doesn't have to do with this world it doesn't have to do with natural knowledge necessary truths it has to do with hypothetical. So one could be a Calvinist in that God says, gee, a world in which free creatures exist is not a good world. So I'm going to create a world in which uh, the Calvinist theology is true and no one has libertarian free will. So all middle knowledge requires here is that God knows what a world of free creatures would be like if he created a world in which everyone possessed libertarian free will. That's all Molinism would require is that God knows what that world would be like. And if he knows what that world would be like, then he has middle knowledge and he can say, I don't want to create that world. So you can still affirm Calvinism and Molinism. There's no there's no uh, intrinsic uh, uh, exclusion there. Uh, as far as libertarian free will, I, I would love to get into that if you'd like, but then we would no longer be talking about Molinism proper. Um, without libertarian free will, you cannot blame me for not being a Calvinist if I don't have the freedom to do otherwise. Neither can you blame me for being a Molinist if I don't have the freedom. Uh, uh, to, to not be, if I was determined to, regardless of how, theologically or, or, or what have you, if I did not have the libertarian freedom, if I'm not the originator of my cause or my thoughts or my beliefs, you cannot hold me accountable to anything I believe. Um, so even Tyler cannot say that he chose not to be a Molinist if there's no libertarian free will. He didn't choose it in, the, in, in a genuinely free sense if he was determined to, if he was caused to by something external to him. So without libertarian freedom, there can be no free choices, which, which takes away rationality, takes away the possibility for knowledge. It takes away any moral responsibility. So without libertarian freedom, I think you get into much more dangerous uh, waters, um, especially given that you have lots of scripture where God commands things and says, look, why would you die? Why, why are you not repenting? I'm calling you to this. I want you to be holy. Be holy for I am holy. God even says, this is not hard for you. God says, I, you're able to do this. God says, there's no temptation that has taken man that he cannot resist. God has made a way of escape. So clearly the Bible seems to implicitly affirm libertarian free will in the sense that by saying, I want you to do this, why are you doing this? There is responsibility in a genuine sense that one had the freedom to do otherwise. 
They were not determined to. They were not forced to. Um, there was nothing external to themselves that caused them to. So, again, Molinism is simply that God knows all true propositions. It's, it's different than counter. It's different than merely natural knowledge and free knowledge because it's hypothetical. And if God did create a world in which li creatures have libertarian freedom, which I believe, then God would know which world to actualize and create given whichever outcome he would want to happen, happen. He, he knows how to bring that about using our free choices. Do you, do you think it's a fair, I mean, um, I, I want to take Andrew's advice and start going into scripture, but but you, you've said a couple of things. And so I want to say, do you, do you think it's a fair summary of your objection that you just said that um, if, if libertarian freedom isn't true, if we're somehow determined then we can't be morally culpable. Absolutely. So, so your view is that if 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 I don't have libertarian freedom, and yet God still morally judge me, that that God wouldn't be fair, or it wouldn't be loving, or it wouldn't be kind, or it would be—I uh, e don't know if you'd go as far as evil or whatever—but it, it it wouldn't it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be right. Yeah, right. Uh, when when a bullet when a murder kills a person, we don't blame the bullet. Neither do we blame the gun because. The, both the bullet and the gun were just a causal – were just an intermediate link in a causal chain of reactions. So if we don't stop with the bullet, why not? Because the bullet was caused by the gun firing. Why don't we blame the gun? Because the gun had a trigger to be pulled that was caused by the hammer. Why don't we blame the hammer? Because we assume the person was the first mover to their actions. However, if the person was caused by external conditions, then they too, much like the gun and much like the bullet, were also intermediate links. So if you are not the originator of your actions, then you do not have libertarian free will, and you are nothing more than a gun or bullet, uh, just another link in a causal chain. So no, you are not morally responsible for these things. So so this is where I'd like to, to come and, and, and bring the scriptures in. Um, so, well, with one cap, with one preface to it, is that I think you're making a false dichotomy between either libertarian freedom or like, absolute hard determinism. There's like a hundred possibilities in the middle. There, there's a bunch of different options in the middle. But what, what I find so interesting, and, and, and I'm sorry, you know, I, I try not to set like traps or snares, but I, but I, I do want to make sure that I'm, uh, you know, I'm hearing your words for what you're saying. This is one of the problems that I find with Molinism is that um, I, I think that it backs into the Bible from its philosophy. And I think what you just said, and it's why I phrase it that way, is that you have affirmed the objection that Paul was responding to explicitly. You've taken you've taken the side of Paul's interlocutor in Romans nine. Um, so Paul, so we're going through starting starting in kind of uh, fourteen. Uh, well, a little before, right? He's talking about um, you know Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. That, that was before either of them had done any works, either good or bad. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is There is no justice to God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy, right? It's up to God. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you that, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. Here's where, here's where Paul's interlocutor comes in. And he says the exact same thing you just said. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? 
for who resists his will. Right, that's 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 the interlocutor. That's Paul's objector's objection. Is saying, if 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 it's if it's God's will, if God is the one determining this, if, if God is the one determining for Pharaoh what his future is going to be, if he created Pharaoh just for the purpose of raising him up to to be an adversary, so that his name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth, then why does he still find fault with Pharaoh? Right? How can Pharaoh be guilty if it's God's will, if God is the one that's determining him? Yeah, that's the that? interlocutor of Paul. And Paul says, on the contrary, who are you, a man who answers back to God? The thing molded will say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does the potter not have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Right? And so it goes on from there saying he makes the vessel. This is where the Calvinist gets the language of vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And yeah. so I, I think what we're seeing here is you're you're affirming explicitly the objection to Paul, right? Which which to me that's shaky ground that I wouldn't really want to be on. And Paul gives a compatibilist answer, right? That's why yeah, I'm well, saying as a false. Can I go ahead and answer some of these? Because you brought up that, about eight eight points, and then if you only give me like three minutes, I can't respond to all eight of these. You can you can take the time you want to to respond to. It. I, I'm I'm just talking about one passage. So there's a well, bunch of points in the one passage. So what I'm saying is Paul answers with a compatibilist answer. No, he, he says he, he's, he comes up and he says, it's based on your nature. Why okay, did you make on. me like this? Okay, Why did you let, make me with let this her, nature? Let her okay. respond. Okay, that, that you just brought up a 10 point now about nature. Okay. Uh, yeah, we really got to slow this down and bring it one point at a time. First of all, if you're saying that God made us, that we're the clay and that God made us this way, then you can't blame me for being a Molinist. I mean, quite frankly, you cannot blame me for being a Molinist. You cannot take intellectual credit for being a Calvinist. Um, regarding libertarian free will, let's let's get into that. Hold on, you brought okay, up. Okay, well, like if, if you want to go one, no, well, if you want to go by one by one, let's go one well, by one then. Well, so, and the, let well, me respond let, then. Well, okay, well then. Try to respond to some of it first. Yeah, let, let me respond to some of it, and then we can then then we can take it one by one. Okay, can, let's talk about libertarian free will. There's at least two conditions. I'm writing a book called Why I'm Not an Atheist, and of course, this is geared for atheists, towards atheists, but uh, quite frankly, it applies to the Calvinist position as well. If the Calvinist denies libertarian free will. Uh, a condition for libertarian free will is that, first of all, you have to be the originator of your actions. That is to say, you are not caused by an external source, uh, much like the gun bullet analogy. Um, if, if you are morally responsible, then you are – then you – this, this presupposes libertarian free will. Um, we don't blame the bullet. We don't blame the gun. We blame the person because the bullet and gun were intermediate links. They are not the first mover, but if the person is an intermediate link caused by whatever, be it brain chemistry or God, then they are not responsible because they were not the first mover. Uh, the second condition I would defend for libertarian freedom is uh, dual ability. It, now, it, it is the ability to will or refrain from willing. So this is, has to do with the will, not the action. So that, that's just something I want to clarify. So um, another thing regarding libertarian free will, by the very – in virtue of discussing this with me, Tyler, you are assuming that I have the freedom to listen and believe you and the freedom to change my mind. This requires libertarian freedom. So by this very discussion, you are assuming implicitly that I have libertarian free will. Um, you talked about Pharaoh's heart. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and wave that because we can save that for later. Um, and again, if, if we don't have – libertarian freedom, then you cannot blame me or try to change my mind if I don't have the freedom to do so. 
regarding Romans 9, this is talking about Jews and Gentiles, not salvation in the, in the sense of individual election. Paul here specifically, because Romans is more than just chapter 9. You have to take the whole book in context. In the beginning, even in chapter 3, he talks about, okay, look, you're a Jew, you're circumcised, but that doesn't mean anything because there are people who are not Jewish, they're Gentile, and yet they are doing these things, and they're more Jewish than you. So being Jewish, being chosen by God, chosen God's chosen people is not just a, a, a matter of, of ethnicity. It's a matter of uh, uh, much other things. So he talks about having a circumcision of the heart. So then when we come to Romans 9, these Jews are very upset, thinking, how dare you, these Gentiles, these dogs, you're saying that they can be saved too? This is the context where Paul says, yes, they can be saved. And who are you to say to God who he can and cannot save? He can have mercy on who he wills to have mercy on, and that is anyone who chooses to accept his uh, his son. So this is the context of Roman 9. This is not – I'm not an, in Paul's interlocutor here. Uh, Paul is talking about the uh, expanding the scope of salvation to Gentiles and not just Jews. This is not a narrow narrowing of salvation. It's, it's broadening salvation. Um, everything else I, I, I think we can – Oh, another thing you said that my philosophy backs into the Bible. Uh, everything you do, every point you just made is a philosophical point. So if you're trying to imply that that um, that our philosophy is backing into the Bible, then you just use philosophy and you didn't quote one scripture other than Romans 9, which I already addressed. So you too have philosophy. There's nothing wrong with philosophy. Obviously, we need good philosophy to help our theology. Oh, okay, couple. Uh, do you have that? Do you have those written down? Let's go. Let's go backwards. Um, nowhere did I say that philosophy was bad. Well, I didn't say you did, right? but you implied that my philosophy was somehow back into the Bible, which was a philosophical statement yeah. itself. No, no, no. Okay. Sure it was. So th this, this is a, this is a. I'm not saying that's not. So this is a, a common thing that I'm noticing. You're, you keep putting up false dichotomies, right? <laughs> so okay. I'm not, I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying you're using philosophy to understand your Bible. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying because logic is philosophy using reason philosophy in that in that general sense. I'm saying you're using philosophical con like philosophical actual philosophical positions about freedom of the will. You're taking the position that you hold philosophically and working backwards in the text. I'm not saying that we shouldn't use philosophy and understanding the text in, in the broad sense because that would mean that we don't use reason, we don't use logic, we don't you know we don't use that to understand the text, which would be inane. Right. So so that's not what I'm saying. So to say that if if somehow so somehow me saying that you're using your your philosophical constructs to back in the text is somehow me saying we shouldn't use philosophy it, that that's just I mean, that's just not what I'm saying at all. Um, okay. That, so so you're saying that I, I'm that saying that I'm, using bad I'm saying that you're no, I'm saying that you no, that's not. Well, I, I, I mean, if, if, if you keep if you keep doing this, then I might get there. But no, what, what I'm saying is that you, you hold to certain philosophical positions, libertarian freedom of the will, for example. Uh, and so you read backwards into the text to find it. I, I don't think you find libertarian freedom in the text, right? Well, I, what you find, I, what, let me get there. What you find, and because this goes back to your other false dichotomy, that it's either libertarian freedom or else we have no choice whatsoever. Right? That's a false dichotomy. There are literally dozens of other views of the relationship between will and sovereignty, between freedom of the will and sovereignty, that are not either 
libertarian freedom or we are little automatons with no choice whatsoever. Right? That's a false dichotomy. And so when you're, when you're going back to the text and you're using your, um, your, your philosophical construct and you go back and you see, oh, well, this person chooses, so they must have libertarian freedom. You're imposing that onto the text. Okay, let's so, can we take that point then? Because I don't sure. want you to keep going. Okay, so uh, you said there's dozens of, I don't know about dozens, I know of at least a couple more other than libertarian freedom, but both would, would, would both fall prey to showing that there is a lack of genuine freedom. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about compatibilism. Let's just go ahead and say it like it is. Uh, compatibilism is not genuine freedom for many reasons. Uh, on the compatibilist view, you, uh, your desires cause your actions um, necessarily. That, that's what causes your actions are your desires, and you cannot resist your desires. But then again, on the compatibilist view, the theological compatibilist view, God gives you your desires, so ultimately God is the cause of your actions because if your desires cause your actions, then if your desires cause your actions, then whatever caused your desires also caused your actions. So if God gave you your desires and your desires caused your actions, God was the cause of your actions, which means whatever you do, sin or, or being a sinner or a saint was caused by God because he would be the first mover. Um, okay. Well, well let, let's go there. So okay. um, I, I do want to eventually get back to Romans 9 because I know Andrew wants us to get to the texts. Um, but here, here's another major objection I have against Molinism. Molinism, it's a reductio ad absurdum. It, it, it starts out by trying to defend libertarian freedom. No, it, it, ends up, it ends up in compatibilism. So, <laughs> you, so, what ha, so okay, go back, go back to what we we're talking about. God has logically possible worlds in which he foreknows that we would, we would quote, freely choose within those possible worlds. I ask you a question. Are we able to freely choose other than what God foreknew we would do in that world if he actualized it? Right? There, there was some hemming and hawing, but I, I have a hunch, and you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I have a hunch if your answer is going to be no. I cannot act differently than how God foreknew that I would act once he actualized that world. So in actualizing that world... I act in accordance with the world that God has actualized. Now, you're going to say, okay, well, I freely choose. Well, can I say what however, I said rather than you? However, oh, sure. Yeah, please. Okay. Um, uh, everything you're saying, I could simply just ask, did you freely come to believe that? And if you say yes in the compatibilistic sense, then I've already shown how that's not genuine freedom. Now, regarding now, no, Molinism no, no. does not start with free with man's free will. It starts with God's omniscience, and, and I've already discussed that. So, um, it, regarding everything you're saying, again, you're you're assuming that there's some kind of freedom. I know you would disagree, so let's talk about freedom. Everything you believe, did you have the freedom to not believe that? Yes or no? Everything I believe that I have the freedom to. So this is where this is where you're importing libertarian freedom. So notice no, no, you said, no, no, no. I just notice, said it's just a question, isn't it? Right. So you're, but I'm I'm saying I'm going with what you keep presupposing when you use those terms, right? Notice you said uh, if you weren't free. Right, uh, I, I actually forget how you precisely said it, but it was if 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 you weren't if you weren't free, then you didn't have choice. Right? And no. I'm gonna say, well, no, under libertarian freedom or under under compatibilist freedom, I still freely choose. It was I'm just, just determined. I'm just determined by my nature. Right. And who gave you your nature? God. Right. So then God's called you to do whatever you do. Great. Whatever. So if your nature. So who created who created the actual world? Who created the actual world? God. Okay. In determining that, in in choosing to create this actual world, 
are you able to act differently than how God foreknew you would act if he created you're, this world? You, you are confusing. We're, you're confusing two different categories. One, we're talking I'm about freedom. not confusing any categories. Let me explain this. One, you're talking about freedom, and then in another case, you're talking about God's omniscience. Now, whatever I do, God will know. Now, when I, ask, I, I simply ask you, could you have done otherwise? You said you act according to your nature. Can you act contrary to your desires? Can I act contrary to my desires? Yeah. No, because, I cannot act contrary to my desires. Right. So you had a desire to say that, and no matter what, you were going to say that. Now, if you cannot act contrary to your desires, then you are determined by your desires. And if God gives you your desires and God has determined every single one of your actions, which means you are not morally responsible okay. for what you think or believe. It's just like me playing with uh, uh, toy soldiers and making them move about. The toy soldiers aren't responsible that's, for whatever that's the false no, it's not. That's, it's, you just said it, that you cannot can you, resist your desires, and God can, gave you your desires. Can you can you fly like a bird? I can will to, and that's all that. That's what free will is. It's a matter of see. You're confusing can, now. You're can, confusing. Can you, can you? So can you fly like a bird? I'm not asking what you will to. Can you fly like a bird? Okay, but one thing we gotta try to do is um, let each finish their sentence, so we don't have the. When you both talk at the same time, we won't hear what either of you are saying. Sorry. Can you fly like a bird? Can you actually fly like a bird? No. What prevents you from flying like a bird? Um, gravity. It's not your human nature, that fact you don't have a bird nature? No. So the only thing that keeps you from flying like a bird is gravity? For the most part. I can jump in a plane. I can put on wings. I said fly like a bird. Fly right, as can, a bird. Can, what keeps I you mean, from flying I, as a bird? If you're the fact that I don't have wings, I can so probably make some. So the fact that you're a human. No. The fact that I don't have wings that I don't that I, I haven't made a set of wings what? to flap my wings. I'm sure I can make some. Then I could fly like a bird. No, no, no. I'm not asking if you could fly analogous to a bird. I'm asking, could you fly as a bird? Could you well, could you fly if, now as a bird? You're confusing nature with action. I'm, and, I'm and not that, confusing. That should, I, yes, you are because I can. Yes, I can fly like a bird. But if you're asking, am I a bird? Then of course, no, I'm not a bird. But so, what does it have so, to do with free will? Right. Who gave you your human nature? God. God gave me well, – let's talk about nature because now we're getting into some metaphysics here and we're getting into a lot deeper philosophy. A nature is simply a set of ultimate capacities. Nature doesn't have to do with my action. I can okay. – my desires may influence my actions, but it is still me who chooses to act upon my desires. That's one part of compatibilism that I firmly disagree with, which is why you cannot have free will if compatibilism is true. I, my desires influence. No, it's not. My desires influence my actions, but they do not cause my actions. I can resist my desires. So, okay. can you can you give me a single example where you've resisted a desire? Yeah, I'm trying to lose weight. Resisting okay. the desire to eat a cookie. So, do you have an overriding desire to desire to lose weight? No. My greatest desire, my strong, see that, and that's another problem with compatibilism. It, it assumes that you have to act upon your strongest desire, but that's question begging because how do you know you act upon your strongest desire? Because you observe your action. Well, how do you know that action was your strongest desire? Well, because your strongest desire determines your actions. That, that's question begging. It's circular. I know my strongest desire is to eat a cookie, and I can refrain from doing so. The Bible itself explicitly talks about refraining. It talks about uh, uh, um, uh, resisting temptation and God making a way out. Now, if God has determined your desires and given you these desires and you have to act on your desires and you cannot resist your desires, then it's not your fault that you cannot refrain from sinning. It's not my fault that I'm a Molinist. It's not your fault that you're a Calvinist. So you, so you can't have a stronger overriding desire for a minor uh, that, that overrides another desire? You can, you but it's still up to you to act upon it. That's my point. 
Do you have a desire to lose weight? Yes. So are you acting upon your desire to lose weight? Sure, but my greatest desire is to eat cookies. I, I'm not asking what your greatest desire is. I'm at, I, well. Well, that, that's, I would say you're, that's I would compatibilism. Say, I would say you're playing fast and loose with what you mean by greatest. But <laughs> so are no. are you acting? Can can you give me an example of where you acted up entirely apart from any desire whatsoever? Uh, no, but I don't have to. Why would why would I have to? So so you act according to your desires. Not necessarily. Can you give me an example of where you acted apart from any desire whatsoever? Okay. Um, yeah, when I, I was a reaction, an instinct, uh, hitting my knee. But the point here would be because compatible is not just about desires. That was one point. Compatible is that you have to act upon your strongest desire, and you cannot resist your strongest desire. I'm saying you can because if I am an immaterial substance, a soul, then while my desires may influence my actions, they do not determine my actions. So two problems with compatibilism. One, your desires necessarily cause your actions, and two, you cannot resist your strongest desire. Okay. That is not genuine freedom. I, I, I disagree. And I, uh, okay, I, I, I want to keep moving on because we're going to keep going back in circles in this. I want to go back to, uh, to ask the question um, about Romans 9, right? Uh, I want to get back to Romans 9. Because you said it again. So you, you said that if you're not free, um, then you're not morally culpable, mm -hmm. right? So how is your view any different than why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Say that again. How is your view any different than who, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? How is why your is view he... any different than the objection that is in Romans nine nineteen? Because I think God can save Gentiles. Whereas the Jews were, were wanting to object that, saying that Jews were chosen and special above Gentiles. It was, it was kind of a racist thing. And okay. Paul would say, nope, don't be racist. God can save who he wants. Was Pharaoh a Jew or a Gentile? Gentile, I believe. So was Pharaoh being used as an example of a Jew that could be saved, or was he being using an example of a Gentile who's condemned? I don't think he was being used as an example of either of those things with regards to salvation. God simply used the free wills that, that he knew Pharaoh would would uh, do. Yeah. What's you, the relationship talking about salvation to Pharaoh's actions? What's the what's the relationship between seventeen and eighteen and nineteen? Why does seventeen and eighteen prompt the objection in nineteen? You want me to read all three verses? Oh, we're talking about the verses. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, or therefore you will say to me in some translations, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Why does 17 and 18, about a Gentile being condemned, why would that, under your reading, I'm asking, I'm asking you to exegete based on your reading, why would that saying a Gentile is being condemned for uh, for objecting, why would that lead to the objection from his interlocutors? Well, then, then how can God find him guilty for who resists the will of God? Uh, well, finding him guilty for what he did is that what you're, is that what you're asking about the text? You you've said that the that the passage that this passage in context is the Jews being upset at Paul saying Gentiles can be saved, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm Pharaoh is a Gentile and the passage is not about Pharaoh being saved. The passage right. is about, is about Pharaoh being condemned because God 
purposed him to be condemned. Okay, it says, I raised him up for this very purpose to display my power in dealing with you so that my name will be proclaimed on all the earth. Now, he's talking about a service, not salvation. He's saying that he used Pharaoh and Pharaoh's free actions to do something. That that's I don't think he's talking about salvation there. Okay. Then that that doesn't that makes no sense for Romans nineteen then. That or nine nineteen. Nineteen. Uh, right. the, why the, does he blame the, me? That that we're asking about. Yeah. So you, so you will say to me then, right? Th th mm -hmm. This this objection to Paul comes on directly on the heels of the passage about Pharaoh. Right. Why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Right. right. They're saying they're saying, look. How can how can God find Pharaoh at fault? How can God find Pharaoh guilty, a Gentile? How can he find him guilty if it was God's purpose and it was God's will and he made Pharaoh that way, right? That's your objection. That's the objection of this passage. So I'm asking on your reading, what's the relationship between the 17 and 18 about Pharaoh and God purposing him and raising him up right. based on his desire, right? Based on God's desire What's the relationship between that and 19? Why does, why does 17 and 18 lead to the interlocutor saying, wait, 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 wait. How can God still find us guilty? Because, because who resists God's will, right? That is your objection. If you don't have libertarian freedom, then God can't find you morally guilty, right? That's the objection right. that's being caused. So on no, your reading, okay. what, is the, how, what is the connection between those verses? Well, okay, first we have we, we want to know the context here where we go back where it actually says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we don't take this literally to say that God is if he went down and God has an arm and he actually squeezed Pharaoh's heart. Uh, we can say that God provoked just like, for example, if I say something that, that upsets you, you can say that Eric upset me or Eric made me mad. But literally I didn't go into your soul or something to make you mad. So God did use Pharaoh's actions. Now, now if God uses for his will, if it was part of his will – Meaning that God knew Pharaoh would make these free choices. And here's where Molinism comes in, where God says, I know what Pharaoh will do, and I'm going to raise him up because I know he's going to do this freely. I'm going to create a world in which Pharaoh freely does this, and I'm going to use it. And you say, well, God, you knew that I was going to do this. Why can I be blamed? Because you used it. it it's kind of like when you think of when cops, they go to, they, they can undercover go, and they offer to sell someone something. And oftentimes a person, uh, I forget what the technical term is, they say, uh, you, you coerce me, basically. And the cop will say, no because this is what you would have done had you been offered. So God knows what people would do in any given situation, and he is able to use these free choices. So why can we not blame God? Because we freely did it. Okay. Could could God have, uh, again, I'm going to go back to this. Could God have actualized a world in which Pharaoh didn't harden his heart and allowed the uh, Israelites to go? I believe so. So God, so this is, by the way, why I'm going to say Molinism entails compatibilism. So God created that rather than the nature of the, the nature of, uh, rather than human nature, he made the nature of nature. Uh, and the nature of nature determines our outcomes because we can't, once God actualizes this world, I'm not free to do otherwise than what I am predetermined to do in this world. Well, by hold God, on. By, hold on. By God actualizing this world, the instant he, the instant he created this creation, I will not do anything different than what God foreknew that I would do. So in creating this world, in creating the nature of nature in this world, Pharaoh, from the first molecule being created, was going to oppose God, and he would be used for that purpose to tear him down. So was Pharaoh truly free?
in yes. this world. Yes, he was. Because first of all, I don't know what you mean by nature of nature. Could, could he have done on, different? Hold on. Hold on. Why does now? Now we have the more appropriate question is why does God know my actions? I, I, I don't want you to. Oh, I don't want you to on, replace no, no, wait, my question. I, well, no, it's don't not replace my question. I'm asking my question. question. I know, but I don't agree with the question because the real question is why does God know what I'll do? Because that's what I'll do. So you 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 can't ask if I'm going to do this. Will God know something different? Well, no, because He won't be omniscient. So no, it does not imply compatibilism. Um, because can, no matter what, I, this is. Okay. Go can ahead. you answer my question though? Before instead of posing a question, you know, teeing up a question for yourself, can you answer my question, please? Well, I did answer your question that I don't agree with the question because first of all, Pharaoh chose to do this, and he chose to do this freely. Now God knows our free decisions, so I don't see how that would imply compatibilism if Pharaoh was free to do this. So from from the moment of creation. Could Pharaoh have done anything differently? Logically speaking, yes. He was able to do it differently. But what does that have to do with God's knowledge? God knows what we will do freely given certain circumstances. So, so let, me, let me give this analogy. Hold on. Let me give this analogy. Um, and it, it's, it's a loose analogy. Let's say I were to record my daughter's birthday party, right? And then I show it to you tomorrow. Now, I know what's going to happen in, this, in the tape of this recording. I know exactly what's going to happen. And I show it to you. And you say, now, Eric, before you played this, this was already recorded, and whatever happened, nothing else can happen. Does that imply that whatever happened in the video was not done freely? Of course not. So just because God knows these things does not mean that they are not done freely. God knows what anyone would do in any given circumstance. So God knows that if God put, if Pharaoh was put in these circumstances, this, is, this would be his free choice. Had the circumstances been different, Pharaoh would have freely chosen to do otherwise. Let me let me ask a question, uh, Eric. And maybe it's the wording, the way you're wording it. But so let me ask it this way: When you say, when you're speaking, like in this case with Pharaoh, did God have to observe what Pharaoh did to know what he was going to do? Can you say that again? I'm sorry. Did, did God, in in your thinking, did God have to observe? what pharaoh would do oh right no he didn't observe god is omniscient he knows these things necessarily so and i guess i guess i'm still where i guess i'm still stuck or or, or seeing is it, it it you're you're the way you're it's at least coming across or sounding you're saying that you keep saying things like God is God knew what someone was going to do, and that's why he decided to do something. And that almost sounds like observation, not omniscience. And I think that's where I'm seeing, you know, where I'm having the disconnect with what with how you just answered that question. So, uh, well, again, God doesn't. This is not by observation. Okay. If we go back to the definition of omniscience, God knows every true proposition. So if Eric eats pizza, he will get a stomachache. If he does not, he will not get a stomachache. Now, these are both true, and which the outcome is going to be dependent on whether or not I eat pizza. Now, God knows all things, including what I will do. So let's say in world A, I eat pizza and I get a stomachache because the pizza shop was open. In world B, I don't eat pizza and get a stomachache because the pizza shop was closed. God does not learn these things, neither does he have to look and observe. He knows all these things necessarily by being omniscient, and he creates a world, he actualizes a certain world to get my a desired outcome based on my free choices. 
I, I guess when you talk about, and this is the thing where you're saying uh, one world is based on one reaction that people have and another one is based on another reaction that people have and he actualizes the one that it sounds like he observes in his knowledge why would he what's going to happen no 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 why, why would he have to observe this if he knows it innately i'm saying based on his knowledge he makes a decision and, Andrew, sorry that's okay no keep going i'm sorry i didn't mean to no, just, just just that i mean based based on what god wants his goal in mind whatever he wants the most people save least amount of evil what have you he knows which word to create. Now, now we have we, we do the same thing. We know, okay, look, if, if I'm going to uh, take a trip to New York, I know that if I take this much clothes, I'm going to have this much room. Or if I take another bag, I'm going to pay more. So based on these counterfactuals, we make certain decisions. Now, granted, God does not have to uh, think and deliberate in order to know something. He knows all these things necessarily. He doesn't have to punch into a calculator these these factors and say oh, okay this is the best conclusion i'm saying that he make that he does these things with this knowledge that he uses his omniscience which of course i don't i don't think anyone would disagree uh, uh andrew are are you trying to get at um that it might under under well maybe this might clarify what you're getting at that it undermines the aseity of god well, I, I just posted a question from Vincent, which kind of gets to it, is, you know, when, when a world is actualized in Molinism, can God change to another actualized world? I, I think that kind of captures what I was trying to, to ask. I, I just noticed this little section here. I haven't. I've not been looking at this. <laughs> I've been posting it. I've said I've been posting all the comments. Hold on. Yeah, I, thought, I was questions. looking at the YouTube comments, not these comments. Okay. Oh, well, that, that's where I'm getting them from. <clears throat> but the YouTube has got a lot of other comments that are not so much questions for you guys. <laughs> so uh, while, while he's looking at those, so Andrew's, You know, YouTube is YouTube's describing you as uh, latent flowers. So, you know, you'll have oh, to, nice. that's a compliment. No, or not. no, no oh, I, will st I will stand up to Eric here and say, no, definitely not. Uh, um, anyways, uh, so Tyler really likes Leighton flowers. <laughs> a big fan. Um, uh, anyways, so I, I think, um, the Asadi issue is actually, I think that actually is an issue because it means that God's omniscience, um, is in some way, um, uh, determined by the actions of, uh, of the creation, um, that that God's um, um, God's knowledge um, is is uh, varied based on which creation he ch he chooses to chooses to, to actualize. Well, well, so hold on, no God's knowledge. God's knowledge now. God's free knowledge would be based on his free choice of which world he creates. Sure, but that was his choice to create that world. His knowledge is not based on anything. He knows it necessarily. God is necessarily omniscient, so he would know every true uh, proposition. So if if in world A I do this and in world B I don't do that, God knows it. Now, whatever world he actualizes, that will be his free knowledge because that will be knowledge of the actual world. Yeah, so, which I think is still – whatever whatever taxonomy you use, you still have part of his knowledge, whether it's his free knowledge or his natural knowledge or his middle knowledge or whatever. You still have it conditioned on on the actions within creation, right, which well, still – which I still think might play problems for aseity. 
Well, are you saying that that if I have free will, then God's knowledge is based on what I do? Then sure. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying that my free actions, that God knows what I do because it's what I would do freely? Uh, well, uh, we haven't gotten here because we 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 took a sharp right, or we tried to take a sharp mm -hmm. right, but we're back at it away from yeah. the philosophy. But so, there, so there's there's point. the whole there's the grounding objection against Molinism. So. Yeah. On Calvinism, we're going to say, well, God has omniscience because God has decreed everything that's come to pass. Whereas on Molinism, God just knows because God knows. And so um, there, there's not an aseity issue on Calvinism well, um, because knowledge, knowledge isn't, doesn't vary in that way because it's based on God's his, his own. Different. You would have a different one then because then God would not be omniscient until he decrees. But it's Which based on his own decree. It's based on his own decree. So it's, it's so the 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 varied in knowledge is based on himself, not on anything within creation. So logically, prior to his decree, he didn't he wasn't omniscient. Is that what you're implying? <clears throat> no, he's always been omniscient. But what, what I'm saying is okay, the change. The change no, no, no. The change in his in his what you're going to call natural knowledge, right? From and even the change in his tense his tense knowledge and his middle knowledge, whatever it is, is going to be determined by his decrees, not based <clears throat> on the choices and behaviors of his cre of his creation right he's de he's decreed whatever so comes to pass so he know his knowledge is is uh, he knows uh, he knows because of his decrees right whereas you're going to say well he knows because i'm not, i'm not actually sure the mechanism for how god's omniscience actually relates to creation and how he knows but uh, so i i want to i still want to go back to to romans 9 because i'm still waiting for an answer on how those verses relate to each other. So how, why does 19 follow on the heels of 17 and 18? Well, well hold on. You, you're brought, you, you mentioned the ground objection. Uh, and as someone pointed out here, that God is not perceiving or apprehending anything. He knows everything from eternity past. So he knows these things necessarily. Um, uh, uh, the ground objection relies on a truth maker theory. And someone else pointed out why I think that the truth maker theory is 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 true um if god has these things necessarily then even if i couldn't explain to you how he knows them it wouldn't it wouldn't negate the fact that he does know them so uh my phone works and just because i don't know how my phone works doesn't mean that my phone doesn't work so if god is necessarily if it's a necessary attribute for god to be omniscient and know all then he knows these things but what it seems like you're saying is that god didn't know this and that, that his omniscience is based on his decree which means logically prior to his decree, he wasn't omniscient, which to me would no. say that, that, I mean, that, that's, that would show that God's not truly omniscient, that he had a wait no. till he decreed. That's, that's not, that's not what we're saying. Um, but, okay. but, but be, so, be, so besides, me, besides that, I, I so yeah, me, I still want to go back to Romans nine, but I, I just break in I, real quick. Sure. I'm breaking sure. in real quick to ask this. So we've gone, we've gone about two hours. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> So you, we usually do these about two hours, but I think we're getting, you know, there's still some good discussion going on. So you guys want to go for, for a little bit longer? Sure. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I'm the one on the East Coast, so it's it's <laughs> latest for me. I, I'm I'm fine. So I, I mean, there I I have a ton of other material, but I still. And, and by the way, I will say this: that someone on on uh, YouTube said the guy in the blue shirt. Got gets their vote. All three. Clearly, that must be me. It's all three of us. Until of course you realize we're all wearing blue shirts. Yes. <laughs> so therefore, yes, we all we all got the vote. So, so Eric, you had said earlier that um, it's logically possible for me to, for for a person to do other 
than what God for we knew we would do in this actual world. Okay, what what I said was that whatever I do, God will know. But is it is it logically possible? So once God actualizes this world, if God foreknew that I would do X, is it logically possible for me to freely do not X? No, because whatever God knows is because that's what I'll freely do. So I, I don't I don't see where the problem is there. Is that if I do something freely, then God's gonna know it. So God knows God has this knowledge because of what I will freely do. So so once so once this world is actualized, I'm not free to act in any other way. I am free. I am free to act that way, but I will freely choose not to. So it's not logically possible, but I'm free to do it. Okay, in one sense you're asking about God's knowledge. And basically you're saying I'm asking about my freedom. I, okay, well then if you're asking about your freedom, then yes, I can freely do something. In any world, I can freely do it. Logically possible, I can freely do it. Now, whatever I do, God will know. Okay. So in this world, let's say I have two options. Take about take out God's omniscience for a second. In this world, am I free to do X and not X? Am I, free am I to actually do free to do action X or action not X? Do I have the freedom to do either one of those things? A real freedom to do it? Yes. Libertarian okay. freedom, yes. Okay. Let's bring God's knowledge back in. God knew from before he created this, before he actualized this world, that I would do X. Right? Say, say it again. So, now, so you, you said, I, I have libertarian freedom. I can do X and not X, right? When we're not considering God's omniscience. Once we now consider God's omniscience and we say, God knew that I would do X. Am I free in the actual world to, am I actually free to do X and not X? I, I still think you're confusing too, but I know you're probably going to say that, that, that to, to answer the question. Whatever I do, God will know. If it's, if I don't do X, then it's a completely different world. So in this world, I'm freely doing it. That, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking. In, right. so in and, I, this, and I'm saying that, that I will not do anything that God – I will not go against what God knows because God knows it in virtue of the fact that I do it. So it's not it's – not, True because God knows it. God knows it because it's true. Okay. In this, so I'm asking an ontological question. I'm not asking an epistemological question. I'm asking an ontological question. In this world. Oh, okay. Well, then if it's on. Am I free to do X and not X? You said yes. I have yes. liberty and freedom. I can do X and not X. Yes. In this world, God foreknows that I will do X. So is it logically possible that I could ever do not X? Yes, it's logically possible, and this is grounded in my free will, not in God's knowledge. So this it seems like you're trying to imply fatalism. I, I'm um, not trying to imply – no. Are, so, are you so, trying to say that God's knowledge causes me to do this? No, that's not – I'm asking okay, I'm right, asking clarification on your view. Right, it's, a, it's a reductio right, so, ad absurdum. So on your no, view, no, no, you've it's said – No, 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 it's not. If you're asking ontologically, then it is based on my will, and, and it is true. God knows it because it's true. It's not true because God knows it. So I, whatever I do, God will know. So in this actual world, I am free to do X and not X, and I'm not free to do X and not X. No, I am free to do I am free to do it, but whatever I do, God will know. Okay, that's that's not what I'm okay. In this world, in the actual world, ontologically speaking, I have the freedom and the capacity and the real choice to do X and not X. Correct? On your view. Yes. yes. Okay. Now 
we also understand that God actualized this world with the foreknowledge that I would do one of those things. So the instant God created this world, I will have always done X. Could I actually ever do otherwise? Logically speaking, yes, because if we're talking about God, what God knows, he knows it because it's what I will do. So, so God I, I would know so God would know that I would do X and he would know that words, it's logically I, possible that I would on. not do X. Hold on. No, if, if I don't do X, then God knows that. If I do X, God knows that. Whatever I, I do, God will know. So there's I cannot do anything other than God knows because whatever I do, God will know. I, I don't so, see how that's hard to comprehend. Okay. So I, I'm not asking what you will do. I'm asking if you have the capacity and the freedom to do otherwise. If it's yes. logically possible for you to do not X. Right. In a world in which God knows that you will do X. Yes, and if in whatever I okay, if I do X, then I'm in this world. Now, can I do anything different? Well, then that would be a different world. And I think that's what you're getting at. And I'm saying yes. So this world is actualized based on what I'm freely doing. And so God I, chose to actualize this world. And I freely did it. If so if I didn't, it'd be another world. Right. And and, and that that's just simply to say that I have a decision to do something. So in essence, I am in control of what I do, which also God takes that into consideration. And, and again, this is not perception. This is innate knowledge. And he creates an actual world okay. based on his free choice. So, so you can only do X in this world because if you did not X, it would be a different world. I'm okay with that. Okay. So in this world, you can't do X and not X because in this world, you can only do X. Sure, but I, I still so, think you're missing this. So once God I, I actualized, on. so once God actualized this world, you could only ever do X. Because if if he if he if he actualized a different world, then you would do not X. But in actualizing this world, you could only ever actually do X. I can do okay. So in essence, we're basically saying that my decision. To freely do something is in relation to what God freely chooses to create. No. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to more clearly answer. This is where I, I guess with what you just said, Eric, is where I guess I was having the issue because it sounds like, again, you're saying that, that God cr actualized a world based on... I'm going to try to word it correctly based on what he knew we would do. Is that act, is that worded correctly for you? Uh, he took these things into consideration. So, it, it, of course, God necessarily knows what I would do, but it's not necessary that it will happen. Uh, that That's a, a modal fallacy. Um, Willem and Craig has pointed this out before. And that just because God knows something doesn't mean it's going to happen necessarily. And I think that's what Tyler's getting at, and that's what I've been missing, and I'm glad someone pointed it out. So just because God knows it will happen doesn't mean it happens necessarily in the, in the sense that I was determined to do this. So God's knowledge did not determine my actions. I freely chose my actions, and of course God is going to know this. So the modal fallacy would be that, oh, well, just because God knows it, then it has to happen necessarily. And that's not the case. It's not a necessary, that, necessary that it happens. I'm not rooting. I'm not asking if God's knowledge cre necessitates it. I'm saying once God. Yeah, that is what you're saying. Acts, actually. You aren't no, no, saying no, no. that. 
that, that that's not listen listen to, the, listen to the distinction i'm not saying that once god knows that you would do that i'm saying once god acts and acts and takes the step the the ontological step of creating this world that's what determines it because because it's not just that his he god doesn't just god doesn't just know and then passively do nothing on molinism right god god knows and then based on that knowledge decides to act and creates this world in which you will only and ever do x right so it I, i'm not saying that you're determined based on god's knowledge i'm saying that well, you are determined though. you, you are saying listen, that because listen, god knows and actualize this world that i cannot uh, determined to do this listen to the distinction i'm not saying that it's just by the mere fact of God's knowledge that you're determined, right? Knowledge is causally a feat. I agree with you. Knowledge is causally a feat. On Calvinism, it's causally a feat. On Molinism, it's causally a feat. But God doesn't just sit back passively with knowledge, right? God actualizes this world on Molinism. And once he takes the step to actualize this world, he actualizes the world in which you will only and ever do X. And you cannot do otherwise, because if you did otherwise, it would have been a different world that he actualized. So the instant he actualized this world, you were okay. I know you hate it. I'm, you I, no, you I, no, still okay. Will, but on. you were determined based on the nature, nature to do X. Okay, hold on. First of all, my nature doesn't cause me to do things, uh, and this is again where you're confusing nature with actions. My nature is a set of ultimate capacities such as consciousness, responsibility, and whatnot. Um, I'm however, not your personal nature. I don't mean. I'm, sorry, I'm, just, I'm just clarifying. I don't mean okay, your personal. Uh, now, God's action as a world is based on free decisions. So, if this is what I do, it's a it's a free decision. Remember, my qualifications for for libertarian freedom was that if I am the originator of my actions and it is free. So. Even if I were not able to do otherwise in the sense of physically speaking, I am still the originator of my actions, so I'm still free. So I, I think I, I'm starting to get it here. I, I, I had to go back and look at some stuff. My apologies. But just because I cannot do otherwise doesn't mean I'm not free because I'm still the originator of my actions. So in this world that got actualized, which is based on my free decision, I am still the originator of my actions. Therefore, I'm still free. Okay. All I was trying to do is clarify. I'm not saying I didn't mean nature in your in your personal nature. I meant nature as in the nature of the the world in which God chose to actualize. Although, and I and I really keep trying to come back to Romans nine. Um, I, I really want to hear an answer to how those verses relate to each other. Really, really, because I honestly have never heard a good answer to it. Um, I also think, and, and this kind of gets into a, you know another side point, but but you you brought it up. I think Molinism has a terrible anthropology um, because it says there's me and then there, and then there's, you know, my will or my desires. And that's something else. Like that's, that's not me as if, as if saying like, I can't be free. I'm, I'm not free if what constitutes me determines what I'll do. It, it's, it's this, it's almost like a weird ghost in the shell in the shell um, view and and for me it just seems strange because on that view then then god doesn't have libertarian freedom 
because because we know that God. I mean, we're told explicitly in in Scripture that 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 God does what He desires. That God does what His good pleasure. Right. We're we're told over and over and over that God does what He desires. That God does what He's what pleases Him. And the, to be theologically orthodox, we're going to say God acts in line with His nature. That God, you know, God. This is where we're going to say omnipotence. I'm sorry, God can't sin. He, he is not he is not free or able to sin it would violate his nature but no one's going to say that god doesn't have absolute freedom because his desires determine his actions right but that's what you're saying of humanity right in one sense your standard says well if you're if if you're determined by your desires then you're not free well, then God's not free, and you're trying to make humans more no, free than God. No, okay, well, hold on. First of all, uh, God's desires don't – okay, when we're, we're, when we're talking about us and God, we're talking about different things. So let, let's stick to us for a second. If I am the originator of my actions, then I am free. On compatibilism, you are not the originator because your desires necessarily cause your actions. On my view, libertarian freedom – on libertarian freedom – my desires can influence my actions, but they do not cause my actions, which means you cannot blame me. And I, and I keep saying this, and, I, and this is a significant point. You cannot blame me for being a Molinist. You cannot take intellectual credit for being a Calvinist because if God gave you your desires and your desires cause your actions, and whatever caused your desires caused your actions, which means God is the cause of your actions. You are not the originator, and you could not have done otherwise. So you're not, you do not freely choose to be a Calvinist. I do not freely choose to be a Molinist, and you can't change my mind, and I can't change your mind because it's whatever God wills. This is a problem that I see with, with, with a lot of Calvinists is that how can you say that I have no – that I cannot act in, against my will, but then you tell people to, to be better at this or be better at that or to try hard at this when if God's the one who decides this, then you can't do anything. Yeah, you, you can't do anything because, on your own Because that's based on a false dichotomy. That, yeah. that, that, no, there's not. Just, okay. is, that's so, still just explain it to me. It's well, a compatibilism. I think, I think Eric, this, this is the thing that I mean, um, and, and all. I am uh, Calvinist. Klein has a question for Tyler that I'm going to ask because it deals with the the fatalism. But I'm hearing you say this, you know, the statement you just made against Tyler, and the whole time you're you're speaking, it sounds to me like you're actually making that argument that God has actualize the world where you are going to by your what you're going to say is your free will that this is the actualized world and i it, to me that's i'm hearing god made this he had all these looked at all these possible worlds decided to actualize this one and if this is the one he actualized then this is the only possible outcome. That that sounds more like fatalism than what Tyler was saying. Now, Tyler Calvinist Klein asks you, um, you know, can can you ask Tyler how he's not a fatalist? He says he's got a person saying that Tyler is stuck on fatalism. Yeah. So <clears throat> fatalism is is basically the view that we're little robots. Right, we're little, we're little automatons. We have, right, we have no, we have no uh, choice. We have no freedom whatsoever. Right, and that's why I keep saying that Eric's coming up with this false dichotomy. That's either libertarian freedom or else, 
you, you know, you can't blame me for being Molus, which I don't, or you can't take intellectual credit for being a Calvinist, which I don't. Those are just, I know you think it's an important point, but it just, they actually seem strange. Um, huh. Okay. But at the same time, uh, it's also a misunderstanding of compatibilism, right? Because it's saying that if you don't hold a libertarian freedom, then therefore you can't find fault, which again, you're parroting the interlocutor against Paul, right? I'm still waiting for that connection. But how I don't escape, how I escape fatalism is compatibilism, right? Compatibilism is the view that God grants us our nature, that God determines our nature, that I am either alive in Christ by the regeneration of the spirit, or I am dead in my sins, right? That's the carriage. That's the horse uh, that my will is riding on. Right? You're not going to get very far on a dead horse. Um, so uh, the, 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 it's, just, it's, just, it's just incorrect to say that on compatibilism, you have no freedom. I have freedom. I choose. It's just conditioned based on my nature. It's just conditioned based on my desires. And I simply reject the mm -hmm. Arminian, the Molinist, the Pelagian, the open theist, all, all those views have in common. I simply reject the bad anthropology that somehow there's this, there's this dichotomy within myself that there's, that there's me, there's like the real me on the one side and there's my desires on the other side. As if those aren't, as if those aren't almost the same, like there, there's more to me than just my desires. Well, but to, it, it almost tre it, it it almost. Can I respond to that? Because you're you're going out to quite a few points. Well, the question was asked to me directly. Oh so, well, right. Okay. So so Sorry. so the to, to, so part of the problem is I'm going to say, well, I'm going to I'm going to reject fatalism, because I think that acting in accordance with my desires is me acting. My my desires are part of what you know are the determining factor of what make me decide. Um. So so. I, I, that that's that's how I would escape escape fatalism by by simply rejecting that that strange anthropology um, and by denying um, libertarian freedom and hard determinism. Um, so I think compatibilism is is really the the best answer. Um, and I and I think as I pointed out, and Eric will probably want to answer you know say something to this, but I think Molinism entails compatibilism because you know just on Molinism, you're not determined by your desires; you're determined by you're determined by the world that God chose to actualize oh. because God chose to actualize where you would do X, where you have the nature of X, you have the desires of X, you have the tastes of X, you have the situations of X, you have, you have the situations which you're placed in. And if in X, you will always do some certain action and God actualized that world. And so your decisions are riding not on the back of your desires, but riding on the back of this world in which you cannot do otherwise. Can I respond to that? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, okay, um, a few things. First of all, no, you, uh, you're still not getting it. Just because God actualizes the world doesn't mean I'm determined to do that or that my actions are caused by the world that God actualizes. I am still the originator of my actions, and I still freely chose to do this. God uh, uh, actualizes the world, and they're based on my free decisions. Uh, uh, God knows what free decisions I make, and he chooses freely which world to actualize, and I'm, I'm still free. Let me, let me give you an analogy about compatibilism, why I see that it, it, it's – I'll put it to you like this. It, say a mad scientist were able to, to uh, uh, drug a woman with, with something that gave her 
desires of love for the scientist. Now, if this woman took the drug, she is now she now has every desire to love the scientist. Now, based on compatibilism, she has no other choice but to act on these desires, so she has to fall in love with the scientist. Now, let's suppose that before taking this drug, she couldn't stand the guy. But after taking this drug, she now has every desire to love him. On your view, she is freely choosing to love this guy. And I would ask the listeners, is this scientist not immoral? I mean, I mean, borderline date rape? Is he not doing something immoral? If, if compatibilism is true, however, you're saying, ah, well, sure, she's determined to act on her love. But, hey, she still wants to do it. it it's, it's her desire. Okay, yeah, but she's not doing it freely. Well, sure she is. Why? Well, because she desires to. Well, why does she desire to? Because of the drug she got, which means she is not the originator of her actions, and she cannot choose to do otherwise. So if the mad scientist is immoral on this analogy, and if this woman is not free, then the same would follow for God on, on compatibilism. He would be the author of everything that what these people are doing, and you cannot do otherwise, and you are not the originator of your action. I, I've explained this quite a few times, and, and I don't see what, what we're missing here. Okay, so let's let's do this because we'll probably try to wrap up in, in the next few minutes. Let's end on Romans 9 if we can. Um, you're, you're, Tyler, I see your lips moving, but you're muted, so I wasn't hearing if you were talking to us. <laughs> yeah, can I, before we go to Romans 9, can I just still get one answer to can God act contrary to his desires? Are you asking me? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's different with God because he's perfect and holy. So that, that he's not going to act immoral and he's not going to and he's always going to do what's what's uh, what, what has the best teleological goal and end. Um, so I, I don't think it's it's a fair it's a fair question to ask in regards in relation to us because we're simply it's like saying uh, can I learn sure can God no ah oh, well then I, then I'm more powerful than God no it's it, it's just disanalogous at that point no you're saying that you're saying that a person cannot be free if they're if they're if their actions are determined by their desires. I gave two qualifications for genuine freedom. One was that the dual ability, the ability to will or refrain from willing. And this has to do with the will, not the action. Because see, on compatibilism, you say, well, as long as I can freely act upon my desires, when the question of freedom is not whether one can freely act upon their desires, but rather can one freely desire in the first place. So it's not, it, it's more appropriately a question of the will, not the action. Because even if I cannot, for example, you asked earlier, can I fly like a bird? No, but I can will to fly like a bird. So just because I cannot physically carry out my will does not mean that I am not free to will in the first place. The second condition was that being the originator of, of your actions. You are the first mover. If there are 10 cars and an 11th car hits the 10th, then the middle cars are not responsible for the damage because they were caused by the chain reaction of the car. That, that, that was the originator that hit the other cars. So you have to be the originator of your will. On compatibilism, neither one of those two are possible. Okay, so which is, so coming back to Romans 9, you've just stated, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Because so he was you, the originator, because this Pharaoh was the originator of his action. So then, then why does, so let's come back, why does 17 and 18, why does 19 come on the heels of 17 and 18? What do you mean by, come on? Why, why, does, why does Paul's uh, interlocutor at this point bring up this objection? What's the relationship between 17 and 18 and verse 19? 
Uh, you, you told me I'm not sure what you're getting at. I, I already said that if, if Pharaoh is the originator of his will, then he's responsible. He's to blame. Okay. Why is it in Romans 9 when it's, when 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 Paul is talking and he's saying for the scripture, right? He, he talks about uh, before, he, you know, this is coming after Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, before uh, they had done either good or bad. And then he says, but does that mean God is unjust? that God chose one and not the other before they did anything good or bad? Does that make God unjust? And he says, may it never be because God is the final decision. He will have mercy in whom he has mercy, compassion who he compassions. It doesn't depend on the man who wills, but on God. And then he gives an example, right? He's saying it doesn't depend on the man who wills. It depends on God's free decision. Okay. And where he gives an example, he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed through the whole earth. So he has mercy on whom he has mercy or desires and he hardens whom he desires. At this point, right after he gives an, after he uses Pharaoh as an example of God raising up someone for his purpose, right? Because to do what God desires to harden who God desires, to have mercy on who God desires, not based on the man who wills, but based on God's desire to have mercy. At that point, the interlocutor pipes up and says, wait a second, red flag, there's a problem. How does he still find fault, right? Who is the person that's at fault? It was Pharaoh. Who is the person that was judged? Right. Pharaoh, right? That's the context. Will. So who resists his will, right? The, the question isn't, well, why does he find fault? Oh, because he freely chose. The question is, wait a second. If you're saying that it's based on God's will, then how does he still find fault? That's the question. How, how does he find fault for who resists his will? Right? They catch on what Paul is saying, where I think that you might not be. So what's the relationship between 17 and 18 and 19? Okay, well, first, there's a lot of things being discussed here. And again, as I said, first, he's addressing the Jews and Gentiles because earlier he says there's no longer slave nor free man nor, nor Jew nor Gentile. We're all one in Christ. So he is making distinctions, first of all. Second, the same could be said of Molinism, as I saw someone pointed out, is that it, on Molinism, someone can say, well, God knew that I would do this if you set up these, these choices. Why would you blame me? Because you're still the originator. For example, when I proposed to my wife, I set up everything. I set up uh, uh, the dinner that we're having. I set up the the, the, the I mean, even to the very thing that she would wear. I mean, I, I set it out on, on, it was actually pretty cool. I set it out on her bed, but she still had the free decision to do it. Now, I knew that if I set the situation up, she would say yes. Now, can she be blamed for saying yes when I set up the situation? Of course, because it was still her free choice. She was still the first mover. So just because I knew it does not mean she wasn't free. Now, this would really show a lot of – this would go to show uh, – in other words, Roman 9s can be interpreted different ways, which is why we go to theology and philosophy because on, even on Romans 9, we could see that if God knew everything that Pharaoh would do, then God could use the actions of Pharaoh, and he could – raise him up for this very reason, which means that God could create a world in which Pharaoh would do this and use Pharaoh's free actions. That's why we see in Genesis where um, um, where we say uh, um, he says to his brothers, you intended uh, you intended evil, but God used it for good. Uh, Satan, what, what Satan intended for evil, God used for good. Um, in Galatians, we see that the Bible says to choose li uh, to, uh, to not live in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. Uh, we find verses that the Bible says that he wishes all men to be saved, that he wants to pull, draw all men into him. That um, he tells some in, in Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 30, um, where he talks about, uh, I'm commanding you to do it. 
I'm commanding you to do this. Um, why should you die in your sin? Why not repent? Why Why should you die? He's asking to repent. He's saying this isn't out of your reach. He's saying uh, this is not beyond you. You can do this. I, I, you have the ability to go and obey what I'm asking you to do. So lots of times here you have God telling the people, look, this is your choice, and I want you to choose life. I want you to choose uh, to follow me. Uh, choose you this day who you will serve. And then in one instance it, they tell Joshua, look, we'll serve the Lord. And he says, fine, I'm going to hold you to this. Remember that it was your choice to do this. So, so in, in a lot of these things, we see that, that God is giving people the option. And even to people who are not regenerate, he's telling them to choose life, to choose, which of course would imply that they had the ability not to. Okay. And so. Uh, can I, sorry, Andrew, I don't mean to cut you off. I have, um, I'm still waiting for an exegetical yeah, and, explanation of how 19 falls from 17. That was a lot. But what? the other problem is, is that, I mean, there's a couple what other problems. The, the other problem is, is that on compatibilism, you have the same thing. You, we've already established on Molinism, they can't do not X. Once God actualizes this world, they can only do X. They can't choose life or non, not life. They will only choose either life or not life, whatever, whatever based would be actualized. Based on their decision, though, but it is still but, freedom. Nope. So that, based that's on, not based the only the world, condition. Based, based, on, the, based well, on the world that God would choose. So, so let me. I'm going to do this because I, I want to try to to wrap to wrap up. Sure thing. And yeah. I, I didn't think we would get. I mean, because this is a big topic, and as I think folks who are watching see, there's a lot of <laughs> different lot. things that end up getting into this. I mean, I I I guess where where I see this and you know with Romans 9 I would say the problem would be in my opinion is adding uh, philosophy or theology into it and not looking at it you know from hermeneutics and what the rules of interpretation would say um, I don't I personally and I'm saying this as someone who is Jewish I don't see this as being the Jew Gentile distinction as if it's the election of the nation versus an election of the church, as some try to argue, uh, I think that it's dealing with regeneration, and that's always going to be personal. Um, so I think I, I I think that we what we've probably ended up doing is uh, opening a can of worms, uh, <laughs> and and probably giving a lot of folks who watched a lot to think about and a lot to to study and research. Um, I, I did notice online in, in the chat that, uh, someone did say that Eric was their, their, it was either their hero or their idol, but then again, he goes by the name of General Han Solo. So he's a fictionary character anyway. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, but in all seriousness, I, I, I want to give each of you guys some time to give some closing comments, closing thoughts, um, without trying to react to what each other said, but just to wrap up your views. Um, I'll start with Eric and then with Tyler, and then I'll, I'll close this out. I know um, we, we didn't get a chance to answer everything and get, you know, we could either maybe do this again sometime. I'm sure that uh, Tyler will probably end up continuing the discussion on his podcast. <laughs> so you may want to give a listen, Eric. But uh, and I don't know if you have a, a podcast, that, Eric, that you that you do stuff on. But if you do, please uh, let us know so that uh, folks can be following both of you. So so Eric, Eric, go ahead. Closing comments, and then then Tyler. 
Okay. Um, yeah, the, the topic was supposed to be Molinism, and we went into so, so much more, and, and, and I suspected that was the case. Um, basically, God has middle knowledge, uh, which is he had prior to his decree to create, logically prior. Uh, he was able to uh, – he knew everything, and based on this, made – being the omniscient God that he is, made – for lack of a better word, the best decision, the wise decision of which world to create, uh, given a certain goal. Um, it seemed that a lot of the problem was regarding free will and that if God creates this world, then can I do anything else? Well, yes, I can, but then it, then it wouldn't be this world that got created, which means that, uh, as, as it's been said before, God – something is, is not true because God knows it. God knows it because it's true. So – Two conditions I gave for libertarian freedom. One was being the originator of your action and the ability to will differently. So as long as I have at least have the ability to will differently, and if I'm the originator of my action, then I am free. And even if in this world, even if I don't do otherwise, it does not follow that I am determined or that I can I did not have the possibility of doing otherwise. I know me and Tyler went back and forth on that. We'll just have to leave it at that. Uh, biblically speaking, the Bible presupposes libertarian freedom in that it says to choose life. Uh, uh, to walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Why will you die? Regarding Pharaoh, um, God provoked Pharaoh to anger. Uh, uh, something that Pharaoh was already going to do, God used um, in relation to uh, – and I do – and like you said, we're not going to be able to cover it all, but just to, to quickly run, out, run through, I do believe it is speaking about Jews and Gentiles. Hence, in the entire context of the book of Romans, you have Paul talking to Jews um, – Saying how they, you know, they shouldn't stick their nose up, thinking they're better than Gentiles. And towards the end, he says, "There's no longer Jew nor nor Gentile, slave nor free man, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um, gosh, I mean, a lot, lot we covered. Uh, I'm trying to think, um, it's way past my bedtime. So, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the discussion with Tyler. Like you said, we opened up a can of worms. So hopefully, as as Christians and brothers in Christ, we can use these worms to go fishing and. And be fishers of men. Um, yeah, and I know, and a compatibilism just that it, it went against uh, genuine freedom, and that you are you have to necessarily act on your desires, and you cannot act contrary to your desires. And if God gives you your desires, then God is the cause of your actions. And Eric, how can folks uh, find you? Oh, right. Um, you, uh, if you have a Facebook, Eric Hernandez Ministries uh, or EricHernandezMinistries.com. Um, I know it sounds pretentious, but I'm not very creative, and I had to get the uh, the ministry a name like a last minute long story. But but God just opened some doors, and I just that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, but yes, Eric Hernandez Ministries. It's not that you're all about yourself. No, 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 no. Yeah, unless God determined me, of course, to be that. Uh, um, so yeah, EricHernandezMinistries.com. Uh, uh, you can you can go on there. There's a few articles. I haven't been doing too many articles. I've done more of these. Uh, have some debates on the Sin Boldly podcast. I did a discussion with Cy Ten. Um, I was on the Dogma debate. Uh, that's one of my favorite debates uh, where I discuss tenets of my book that I'm writing called Why I'm Not an Atheist. Uh, keep me in your prayers as I'm writing the book. Um, yeah, EricHernandezMinistries.com uh, or Facebook as well, Eric Hernandez Ministries. All right, Tyler. Um, so a couple closing thoughts. Um, I said it. I said it before, and um, 
it's, you know, it kind of got it got a good little chuckle from you guys. Um, but I'm going to say it again. I'm very, very thankful, uh, and I praise God that Eric is not a consistent Molinist, um, because I believe that he is a brother in Christ. I believe he's not a heretic. Um, even though I think Molinism is is very, very dangerous of a position, I, I'm glad he holds it in tension with with Orthodox theology because I think it undermines almost every attribute of God. So he st he says that God desires all to be saved. If that's the case, then God could have actualized a logically possible world where all people would be saved. It's a logically possible world. Omnipotence is being able to do whatever is logically possible. But on Molinism, that's not feasible for God. Why? We don't really know. So God couldn't do it, even though he's omnipotent, right? That undermines omnipotence. We also asked him, is it logically possible for us to act in a way different than God would know in this actual world? Uh, he started by saying, yes, it would be logically possible uh, for us, us to act differently. Um, when he got when it got cornered, well, then no, because then he act, we actually couldn't act differently than how God foreknew. Right. So that that's a that's a varied answer. But if we if we if we can't act differently than how God would foreknow, then we could only do the one thing determined by the, the world that God chose to actualize, which doesn't sound very free to me. But if we could do differently, that means we're free to act differently than how God would foreknow, which undermines God's omniscience. Now, we, he also gave the example because he kept saying that if, if God was the one who gave us our desires, if God was the one that set up the conditions and he knew how we'd react in those conditions, then he's somehow not morally culpable. This is where the chainsaw example comes in. If I put a running chainsaw in the room with a two-year-old, I know what would happen, and I just let him run loose, who's morally culpable? Is the two-year-old for doing it, or am I the one for setting the conditions? Right. So in that case, I think God would be the one that would be culpable, which would mean that God would not be omnibenevolent. Uh, you also have him saying that the standard part of the standard for freedom is that we are not fully determined by our desires. So my question is, is God free to act contrary to his desires? The answer is clearly no. God works in accordance with the desires. God works in accordance with his nature. God has, to be blunt, compatibilistic freedom. Uh, but does that mean God is not truly free? Of course not. God is absolutely free. God is the absolute sovereign and free to choose. Um, he said, and I quote, and I wrote it down, God chooses to create the world based on my free actions. That means that God's, God's knowledge, God's decisions, God's sovereignty, everything is based on our actions, um, which I think undermines the aseity of God. Um, and then when you get to Romans 9, I don't think we heard a good answer for how 17 and 18 relate to 19. Why does, why does Paul's interlocutor say 19, uh, give that objection after hearing that Pharaoh was raised up by God based on God's will and based on God's desires? Now, the answer given was that it has mostly to do with Jews and Gentiles. But if you plug that back into the scenario, we didn't get to this. If you plug that back into the scenario, then who are the objects of grace and who are the objects of wrath? Which one is which? And what happens? What does that mean? If we're not talking about persons, what does that mean for God to create them as the objects of wrath? That means whole groups of people, whole nations, whole tribes, whole whatever are the objects of wrath. So does that mean that there are a people group? that are barred from the gospel? Does that mean that there's a whole people group that's created for destruction? And should we share the gospel with them? So is the gospel for all men? So I think it undermines the gospel itself. 
So to that degree, I think there are so many problems when you take Molinism to its logical end. Um, that are so many problems. And I am thankful that all of us likely pray as a Calvinist prays when we're doing evangelism and we pray for God to change the heart. That's all. Well, I would like to thank both of you guys for coming on. Tyler, uh, let me just do the same with you that I gave with Eric. Can you uh, give where people can get a hold of you? I know there's someone in YouTube that's saying they they wish they had more that they could comment or type out to let me make sure I get it right. Uh, to address Tyler's misunderstandings of logical possibility, possible worlds and feasible worlds. So give folks a way that they can get in touch with you and uh, further dialogue. And, and I'll encourage both you guys to maybe go back to the chat on this video later and you guys can interact with people that way as well. Yeah, the chat's fine. Um... You can go to uh, freethinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. There's a couple episodes there on Molinism where I present a lot of these same objections. Um, or really the fastest way, if you want me to interact, because um, when I'm bored or I can't sleep or I'm up with a crying newborn, uh, I'm on Facebook, and there's uh, the Freethinker Podcast uh, Facebook page. Um, that's where a lot of these discussions happen. Or um, I kind of uh, haunt the Bible Thumping Wingnut page uh, every now and then, too, uh, and, and have some fun with Andrew. So um, you can find me there as well. And, uh, you know, you, you, okay, so Tyler, you have a podcast, The Freed Thinker. You come yep. from an atheistic background and you do address atheism quite a bit. Yep. <clears throat> Eric, you're writing a book answering atheism why you're not an atheist, which I think has a longer subtitle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <clears throat> you, you have that offhand or you have to pull that uh, up to read that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really, I, um, really long subtitle. It's, uh, well, some of the effect of, uh, it's why I'm not an atheist, and then it's a, an analysis regarding the logically inconsistent, self-defeating, irrational, unjustified atheistic worldview. Something to that effect. <laughs> to, to which I would give a standing ovation to probably that, that book. So, so I'm waiting for the day that uh, both of you guys are working together against atheism, and, and then we'll get a uh, get a couple of atheists in, in a hangout, and the two of you people go, "Wait, weren't they disagreeing?" That that's the beautiful thing. He's a he's an absolute. Eric is a is a is a wonderful guy, brother in Christ. Um, I, I mean, I would gladly stand shoulder to shoulder in in sharing the gospel with him. Not Amen. sharing the gospel Amen. with him, but sharing with him. <laughs> <laughs> although we are, although we are to preach the gospel to ourselves day in and day out. <laughs> yeah. So I want to thank both you guys for coming on. I think it was a good discussion. It, it did go in a lot of different ways, but <clears throat> you know, one of the things I had to encourage folks who were on YouTube chatting, uh, in my encouragement to most of the folks, you both hold to your views, you hold to them strongly. And yet there was no name calling, no insulting, no behavior that didn't show love and charity toward one another. Uh, some of the folks chatting in the YouTube could have learned that a little bit better, maybe. Um, some, th some insults were unfortunately flying, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this, is not just to discuss Molinism and, and its ramifications, but also wanted to let you guys put on display discussing theology with charity and love. Um, and so I think that's an important thing for us to, to always remember when we're discussing this, because these are things we hold strongly to. And 
we have to remember if we're going to call someone, especially if we're going to call them a brother or sister in Christ, we're going to spend eternity with them. And, you know, we, we need to recognize that we're all, every one of us is going to be wrong in our theology somewhere. We don't know where it is because if we did, we would change it if we're going to be honest. But I think each of us are going to find that when we sit before Christ, we're going to find areas that our theology was wrong on earth and we got corrected. Difference will be is we, at least for me, I will never be so happy to be wrong than when Christ corrects me because then I know I'm absolutely right now. <laughs> so, uh, but we, we want to thank both uh, Eric and Tyler for coming on. I, I can easily say the guy in the blue shirt won. Um, since we're all wearing blue shirts, I, I, I'll I go with the person who said they voted for the person with the blue shirt. Good thing they didn't say beard or not beard, you know, because, you know, that could be different. <laughs> I think that that's how I distinguished which one of you guys was the Molinist online was Eric's the guy with the beard because blue shirt didn't work. But uh, I do want to thank you guys. I want to thank those who who watched. I know it's it's uh, late for those of us live, and at least here on the East Coast. And uh, I'll, I'll w wish each of you guys a happy New Year. Which you're gonna go? What? That's right. It's Chinese New Year, which is why I'm headed to New York tomorrow. Um, but uh, but I do appreciate you guys taking some time out. I think it was very helpful and educational for the folks who who watched. I want to encourage you guys who watched to dig in deeper, start studying, and see see how you know you engage with with both Eric and Tyler online so that you can get some questions answered and get to dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures to know what it is you believe. And so with that, we're going to say uh, good night and uh, just strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. Well, thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free to visit us at the blog at www.freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. Email me at freedthinkerpodcast at gmail.com or find the Freed Thinker Podcast group page on Facebook and join in the fray. Join us next time for more of the Freed Thinker Podcast. Good night and God bless.